This episode of the Out of Bounds Podcast is brought to you by our friends at Fisher Skis. is the Out of Bounds Podcast. My name is Adam Jabber, and we have an excellent episode for you today. Uh, two interviews, uh, one with Cade Critchko and one with Ahmet Tadali. Um, Cade is the editor-in-chief over at the Ski Journal, which is a wonderful magazine if you have not heard of it. Um, I would say pound for pound, most beautiful cover art always, uh, cover photos, whatever, um, that exist in ski mags uh, consistently every issue um kate is a super smart person he's very insightful he's a great writer um is very thoughtful and i actually really enjoyed talking to him i don't know why i said actually like i was surprised like i enjoyed talking to him regularly anyway um i'm glad he took the time to spend chatting with me for an hour and i think i think an hour hour and some change um talk about everything from like what it's like running a magazine what it's like being the editor of a magazine his days at powder um and what that was like his time spent in china he's a uh he's definitely a traveler like he does this job for the travel for the experiences and that is abundantly clear in this episode uh i hope you guys enjoy it that one was that one was a pleasure um we also have ahmed didali on today uh ahmed obviously has been if you're familiar with Ahmet, he's been very controversial lately. Um, he's got a lot of things to say. Uh, some of them good, some of them misunderstood, and some of them I think are just not fully accurate. And I think that that's an important thing to walk or to think about as you go into this episode is, okay, like these, a lot of these are opinions, right? And a lot of these are feelings and emotions that Ahmet has about certain things, and a lot of them are based on circumstance um, being you know, where he is currently. Um, he's in Indonesia, like he's separated from the world. He's in a small community. And I think part of it is just, it's just him. Um, I really wanted to talk to him. Somebody actually asked me if, if I wanted to get him on for clicks or downloads. And I was like, no, like I wanted to get him on because I didn't want to see him go the way of like a Nicholas Muller. I didn't want to see him get put in this spotlight that was just negative all the time. I think he's re I think he really thinks that he's doing something good. Um, I think his intentions are pure. Um, and I don't really, I think he does, especially this weekend. I think he does like to stir the pot, but that's his own right. Um, it's uh, he has a platform and that's one of the things that I kind of tried to remind him and myself is like, when you have a platform, it's really important to use it in the right way. Um, so I did my best to kind of guide the conversation in a positive light and kind of, I don't know, when I was a kid, I looked up to Ahmet um, just because of who he is. And that's why I wanted to have the conversation, not because of clout, not because of any, <laughs> any other reason. Like it's not, it wasn't a gotcha interview. There's a lot of things that he says that make sense. There's a lot of things that he says that are to me completely like, I don't know don't make sense like they're not they're not the reality that I live in it's not the reality that so many people live in um and again I think that's it's really important to 
to keep in mind that a lot of this like isn't necessarily the full truth. And I mean, he, it's funny because like he makes some decent points about, okay, like maybe everything we're fed isn't true. And like, okay, I understand that. Like I, and I believe that, like, I don't believe any, like, I don't believe everything I read on the news or see on the news or in a newspaper. Or, but I think there's, there's some truth in everything. There's lies in everything. And I think it's really hard to have an objective perspective if you already kind of have your mind made up. Um, and that's where I worry a mech is going. And, and I told him this a lot. Like I told him that I worry about him. I told him I worry about where he's at. I told him I worry about his perspectives on the world affecting other people negatively. And that's never what, what I want. Um, and I kind of just wanted to show that like, he's not, he's not nuts. Like he's, He's there and he actually seems really happy and I, I do believe his intentions are pretty pure. So I hope that you guys enjoy that interview. I hope that you can take something positive from it. Um, and I think it's also important to note that like, look, I, I don't take my advice from Aaron Rodgers. I don't take my advice from Ahmed Nadali. I don't take my advice from very many people. Like you pick the people that you think are intelligent enough to make a decision on for yourself or you make the decision just solely on your own. And I think that's, that's fine. That's your own path. Right. Um, and that's, that's just kind of where that's where I, it's funny. I sat with this for a while after the interview. I'm just like, okay, like, should I put this out? Like, is this, but I do, I want to put it out because it's a lot of it is Ahmed's opinion. And a lot of it is like where he's at. And that's just the reality of the situation. The first half of the interview, maybe even a little longer, is just great storytelling on Ahmed's part. And it's just really fun, and I really, really enjoyed it. Second part is, not that I didn't enjoy some of it, but he makes some good points, and he also makes some points that I'm like, this could be harmful. So, um, again, grain of salt with everything. Um, and, yeah, I hope you guys enjoy it. We have a new sponsor for today, and it is Rumple. Um, there's a lot of blanket options in the world, obviously, um, but there's only one that is dedicated to sustainability. Um, obviously that's something that we are really, really big on here at the out of collective, uh, sustainability, working with protect our winters and I don't know, just trying not to be for lack of a better term, piles of garbage. Um, <laughs> Rumple is committed to that same mission. Uh, they make weatherproof, durable, cozy blankets, uh, made with the same technical materials that are used in premium outerwear. Um, they also make these awesome towels. This is the everywhere towel. This is like my go-to jump in the river, dry off quick. Like, I don't know. Like, this is the perfect keep in your car towel. Um, and I feel like everybody needs one. And especially, like, live in a mountain town, even in New England. Like, all the driving I do, every time I see a river, I just end up jumping into the thing. Just to get a little break, you know? And then, like, I end up sitting in my car all wet. And then, like, your car kind of smells bad. You kind of smell bad. Like, dry off like a normal person and use one of these things. Super packable. Um, they dry really fast. And like I said, commitment to sustainability, that kind of sets the sets them apart from everybody else. They also make these really cute beer blankets, which are basically koozies, but way cooler. Um, everything's weather resistant, durable. We talked about that. They also recycle 5 million plastic bottles a year um, with the goal of offsetting their carbon footprint as a company. Um, so you can go to rumple.com and use promo code out of bounds all caps, for 15% off on your purchase. I would highly recommend that wrestling is a towel, ladies and gentlemen. 
Um, <laughs> I would highly recommend this thing. It's rad. I'm I'm a huge fan. And obviously, the blankets, the ponchos. The ponchos have been hitting. I saw a poncho at Ski Magazine Test last week, and it was uh, pretty jealous. Kind of want a poncho now. So, um, once again, go to rumple.com. Use promo code out of bounds for 15% off any eligible products. Uh, Sierra Nevada is a sponsor of the Out of Bounds podcast. They have been for a little while now, um, but it is official and it is on the big screen. Um, if you're not familiar with Sierra Nevada, they make all kinds of amazing products, including uh, the Pale Ale, Torpedo, Hazy, um, Fantastic Haze Imperial IPA, Dankful IPA, Tropical Torpedo. I mean, they like have so many, so many beer options. Um, so check out SierraNevada.com. They also have hard kombucha, which is called Strange Thing, which is spelled a little funny, but it is by far the best hard kombucha that I've ever had. Um, it is, it, it's great. So once again, check out Sierra Nevada, go to SierraNevada.com and I don't know, find yourself a local Sierra Nevada, Sierra Nevada, Sierra Nevada, Sierra Nevada dealer. Um, what do they call those places? What do they call those places? Oh yeah. Package store. Package stores, liquor stores, whatever. Um, go to your local liquor store, buy some Sierra Nevada, send us pictures on the gram. We'll send them to Sierra. Anything else? Anything else? Go to SierraNevada.com. That's it. That's the whole read. Um, well, first of all, who are you? What do you do? Tell me a little bit about yourself so people know, and then uh, and then we'll go from there. And obviously, the question of the week or the month or the year is what your din setting is, so I would like to know that as well, um, <laughs> if you can surmise all of that for me. Right on. I'll see if I can remember half of that, but we'll, we'll go. <laughs> ask. Then I'll start asking questions as like, can you repeat that? Um but yeah, I'm Cade Kritschko. Um, I am currently the editor at the Ski Journal. Uh, before that, I was a roving dirtbag for about 10 years, writing anything and everything skiing, um, mostly with powder. I kind of got my start with those guys. Uh, actually, Mike Rogi gave me a call on a very rainy Boston afternoon inviting me an intern out in Southern California and tricking me into thinking that San Clemente was the Jackson hole of surfing. That was his tagline. Um, and he got me dude. Like I, I flew out there and didn't know what I was doing and 10 years passed and they kept hiring me to write stuff about skiing. So kind of like walked in the back door there. That's um, yeah. And, and now I'm getting paid to, to run a magazine, which is, is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, what was the other questions again? Uh, din setting. I skipped one though. No, din setting's the last one. Uh, who are you? What do you do? That's basically it. I mean, and also you do a lot of other shit too. So like, I mean, that's the, that job is the coolest, I think of eh, maybe of the things that you do, but I mean, what else do you do too, for people that are unaware? Right on. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of all over the place. You're right. Um, ski writing is a, is a thing, but I really like to, to write about just about anything. And that has led me to write about why Japanese seven elevens are kick-ass, um, <laughs> about the one time a drunk dude at a bar in Cuba tried to sell me his pet rabbit. Uh, pretty much like <laughs> I'm wandering through this life and remembering things by writing them down. And, uh, some people think it's interesting. Other people <laughs> don't really tune in at all. And that's cool. But, uh, Everything revolves from storytelling. Uh, I've done some photography work. Uh, I'm currently teaching a university course, which is bizarre. I can't believe they're letting me do that. 
<laughs> a lot of self-doubt so far here, guy. Like, what, what? is the story? How do you, how do you get here? I, I don't know. I just, I just, it keeps wandering further and further <laughs> off the beat path, but uh, yeah, a lot of teaching has been taking up my time recently and I just picked up uh, or just pitched and am trying to, to make this a reality, but we're potentially leading some tours over back in Europe. Um, so that was part of the reason I was over there this last trip to check Sick. in on some things. What kind of tours? Um, starting with a surf tour, which and this is with Evo. Yeah. That's with Evo. Yeah, for sure. Um, they were psyched on it and basically I lived over in Spain for a bit. So I'll be connecting with some, some old homies over there and building the bridge between the U S and this cool slice of Europe where you can surf mountain bike, skate, ski in the same day kind of thing. Sick. Do you, yeah. do you speak Spanish? I do. What, how many languages do you speak? Oof. Uh, I always say that I speak two languages, but I've gotten lost in a lot of other ones. Okay. What's uh, What are some of the ones that you're somewhat comfortable with? Let's say Brazilian Portuguese. And okay. I can like work things out in Basque, which is like a language that no one in their right mind should ever learn. Uh, <laughs> the most complicated convoluted language ever um there's like no known origin for it and it just doesn't really align with anything but probably those ones i thought i knew some french turns out i don't after this last trip <laughs> and that's that's kind of it man i'm not like a, a linguist by by any means but i really really do like learning languages i hope someday i can crack the code yeah. Yeah. It's something that doesn't compute with my brain at all. Like I've tried. So like I grew up in an Arabic speaking, a semi Arabic speaking household. And like, I still, my Arabic is dog shit. Like it is not good. Like I can speak, I can get through a conversation like limping, but like not, and that's basically it. And then I took French and I took Italian for five years and I can speak zero Italian and I can speak zero French. So it just doesn't, it doesn't work with my brain. It's tough, man. And I, I don't know. I'm sure you can get by in Arabic. And if somebody was speaking at you, especially angrily, yeah. you, you'd understand. Oh, happening. for sure. Angry Arabic, I'm good at. Like, cause that's like what you would hear. That's what I would hear it the most is when like my father would be angry at me. Then I'd hear Arabic the most, right? Like, because then it's just like whatever his instinctual response is. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Spanish is the same way for me. I always joke that like, oh yeah, I got good at Spanish cause I had to defend myself. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, yeah, I guess that's one way to learn trial by fire, right? Yeah, I guess. Maybe I need more French people to be mad at me. Oof, that's not hard to find. I don't think it is. I'm sure somebody will be in the DMs after this. Um, <laughs> so how can I can I ask you like how did you get into writing? How how did that become a thing that was like what you wanted to do? I mean, I think probably like a good number of people on this show. Uh, it wasn't necessarily the plan, kind of fell into it a bit. Um, but yeah, I was supposed to be a pro soccer player and a web page designer when I was six years old, you know. Um, but my, I actually had a great grandma who is a really, really good storyteller and grew up and lived on a dairy farm in Maine. And uh, I think I was like 11 or 12. And I told her, you know, yeah, I'm trained to be a pro soccer player. And she's like, that's, that's like really nice, Cade, but I think you might think about being a writer huh. and I remember being really pissed off about that but uh she made me give me her my 
school give her my school papers from like then on out like after i got them graded by the teacher red x's all of it just give it to her and uh she'd read them give me feedback and i kind of that sunk in somewhere basically and when i had no idea what i wanted to do with the rest of my life and i had to check one box on a college entrance exam i chose journalism and it it just kind of clicked yeah i mean you're a very you're a very interesting person because you're not the typical ski guy in a lot of ways like if you go to like even if you just follow you on instagram or twitter or go to your website like none of it is like it is at its core skiing but a lot of it's just travel and the lifestyle and all the things that connect like everybody and also like i don't think that many people that are like skiers were that good at soccer also so that's a unique thing as well i guess <laughs> yeah but no i i thank you for for taking the time and and seeing that because that's definitely what i'm putting out into the world but uh skiing definitely connected all of those parts of me which is pretty cool um and i don't think i give skiing enough credit sometimes but like it it was totally the vehicle for me doing all the stuff that i've done like if I'd gone a more traditional journalism route, which was, you know, going to school in Boston was sitting, trying my best to sit courtside at a Celtics game, you know, and figuring out that, oh, the press doesn't sit courtside. They sit in a press box way the fuck up there. They can't even <laughs> see the game. And then they get like a soggy sandwich for, you know, for, for their efforts. And they get like three minutes with the players, with their agents hovering over them where they won't even get a good quote. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just, I just figured out there was a better, or yeah, I just figured out there was a better way to do it. Like skiing was open to like talking about stuff and having these stories shared and like your access within the ski world is pretty phenomenal. You know, running a podcast, right? You're sitting down with For the sure. people you're watching in ski movies 10 years ago being like, wow, I wish I could be like that person, you know? For sure. Yeah. It's insane. I I've always thought that like, I I'm whenever I ask someone to be on the show and they say, yes, I'm, I'm still to this day, even though we're 200 episodes in almost like it's crazy to me that people come on and talk and like, it's that it's easy to get a fucking Steven Nyman or Ahmet even, or anybody that comes on the show. It's like the only one that won't answer me is fucking Eileen goo, but that's a different story. That's because Yaps doesn't want her on. And I'm just like, God damn. Like, <laughs> But yeah, that's the only one that's a struggle right now. But that's, it's, it's crazy the access that you can have to skiers. And, I, and I've never really understood why that access is given, right? Mm -hmm. Because like in other sports, like you just said, it's so hard to get those interviews and like everything is so plotted out. And when somebody says like something slightly off kilter, like you're, it's like makes every headline, right? Yeah. Versus skiing, people say ridiculous shit all the time. And I don't know. Like, it doesn't seem like it matters that much. No. And, and it, you get these like this crazy depth to the stories you're doing that you really can't get in some of these more mainstream sports. Um, yeah. I've tried to get that route. Like I, I did the Boston sports scene uh, when I was over in Spain, I was, I was working a little bit with ESPN on, on soccer coverage, which was, you know, the dream, right. When you're growing up, idolizing soccer players except for Ronaldo um but <laughs> I just want to slip that in there because he's playing right now against uh Atletico Madrid and Champions League and you know I and feel like I have a, a platform fan. but uh <laughs> <laughs> not a fan 
but it was brutal, man. Like I, I would spend 12 hours at the training center and be promised like a 30 minute interview and I'd get five minutes and it would be like with the dude changing in the locker room and you're like, this isn't it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That, that part, I, that would be not what I would want to do either. That's like, seems so uninteresting to me. Like for somebody to not give you their full undivided attention for like, however much, because like I always tell people, this is like, don't do it for me. Like, don't, right. don't come on the show for me. Do it if you want to do it. If you don't want to do it, I, I'm good. Like, there's a lot of people that ski. There's a lot of people that are on the internet. Like, I'm, I'm okay, you know? Like, we don't need to do this. Versus soccer, it's like, people know 10 professional soccer players, right? They know, like, most people. Everybody's a soccer fan, but if you ask them to name 10 players, it becomes a lot more difficult of a conversation, I think. For sure. So, yeah. I don't know. It's very bizarre. How... How has it been working for the Ski Journal? How has it progressed there for you? What what has that whole experience kind of been like? I mean, because you're working for a magazine in 2022, and magazines are like it. Everybody's kind of looking for a different way to tell a story now, and kind of get some eyeballs on it. Yeah, absolutely, man. I, you know, I I kind of swore to myself I was out of the magazine game. Um, when I, I moved to Europe in 2017 and I was doing some more feature style work over there, finding stories in Europe and selling them back to publications in the US, um, kind of undercutting the whole travel budget thing, saying like, hey, I'm already over here. Let's do this. You know, this is easy for me. It's a Ryanair flight. I got this. Yeah, um, that was really cool. Uh, but then I left Europe in 2019, November 2019. and and basically got a call out of the blue that um, Mike Rogie was in the process of moving uh, away from the ski journal and, and starting his own thing with Mountain Gazette. They were looking for a replacement um, and my name had come up and I pretty much said like, nah, I'm not really interested. Uh, just because, you know, like you said, this is a really tough business to be entering right now in 2022 you're seeing the giants of the sport and of the industry just go down in, in flames that aren't necessarily their fault. And you're like, do I really want to be, do I want to deal with that pain? Like, do I want to deal with well, be part of that ship? Yeah. Um, but I had some really good conversations with Jeff Galbraith up there and he kind of walked me through uh, what their operation was about. And also like totally respected where I was coming from that like skiing isn't my only interest. And then I did want to pursue these other things. And he's like, that's totally cool. We would love for you to like work with us, but then also have this free time to work on your own shit. Yeah. And I was like, wow, I've never heard that from anyone in this business before. And uh, I'm here, like, let's give this a shot and see how it goes. And now we're, you know, finished up season two, already cranking on season three. And um, it's been a blessing, man. I, I didn't a very unexpected blessing, but here we are, you know? Yeah. Yeah. What, what's been the biggest struggle for you working with the magazine, I guess, and not just working with ski journal in general, I guess yeah. this would apply to basically working anywhere with the exception of outside. Cause I think that gets muddy, but yeah. Oh, uh, not to keep on this self-deprecating <laughs> ramp. Uh, I'm a horrible manager, man. Like, I am, I'm the guy who goes out and like finds a story and connects with the people and like does the creative stuff. Yeah. But I'm the one who's like pulling the puppet strings on other people 
doing what I normally do. Yeah. Uh, it's been a challenge. It's, it's like forced me to grow up a lot and like have a bigger vision of like, okay, like this is a sick article about Europe, but, or yeah, like Lofoten or something really rad, but how are we going to balance that with something that people can relate to? Um, maybe an East coast ski story or uh, some sort of resort story from the West or like, how can we find that balance? And it becomes this massive puzzle. And uh, I, it's tough, man, but I'm kind of starting to like it and um, to have my hand in, in all those different things and admit that like, I'm not, I'm not the wizard of Oz, but like, I can have this vision, but I need like my homies to pull it through. I need to reach out to other colleagues and be like, Hey, like, I know that climate change is important and it's affecting everything we do in skiing, but like you're dialed in on this and like, you're the one who needs to tell that story and I have a platform for it. So like pretty much accepting that I've, you know, taken a different role and approach in this has been the biggest struggle, but also I think is setting me up for, for good stuff in the future. I hope so. Otherwise, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, that would be the hope I think for everybody doing whatever they're doing. Otherwise it's a very miserable existence. Yeah. Yeah. Trying to not see that side of things. Yeah. No, I don't, I don't think you're in that realm at all. I mean, because every new person that you meet, every new person that you give a platform to is, is a new connection. Right. And like that opens so many doors and like people always say like, it opens a door for this. It opens a door for that. But like, it's true. Right. Especially when you have something like media, you have an ability to like push what somebody else wants to do. Right. And then when you get out of it, like somebody's looking to add that skill to their portfolio. So it's not like there it's a revolving door in a lot of ways, but it's also just this constant, like you can do whatever the fuck you want, basically. Right. Like you could go wherever you want and apply those skills to anything. I think so, man. I mean, you see people who come from skiing and go elsewhere and we all do this cause we love it. Not cause we're getting paid a ton. Um, obviously that's just <laughs> the name of the game, but people who do step outside of it and still love skiing, but maybe go into another industry, they just crush it, man. Like the guys that stepped, like, look at, yeah, dude, kidding me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or like Digi's at GoDaddy now. And like, he's, yeah, yeah, it's like, I mean, it's so insane to see what people can do. And it's like, if you talk to those people, they're like, skiing still is what I love. Right. It's just like. You need to figure that's what bums me out a lot about the, this industry though. And like, that's one of the things that I'd like to see change as we kind of progress forward. But it, it feels like I always am fighting a losing battle on that end, but I don't know. It's it, there needs to be more money to the people that are actually creating things as opposed to the people that are just like you know, own, running a resort on the high, you know, like, I don't know. I, I feel like nobody knows where the money goes. It just goes down a drain. Yeah. And we're like kind of, you know, silently and diligently promoting the sport for for those I mean, we're kind of setting it up a little bit but i do think and i think you'd mentioned we had gotten a bit of a twitter conversation about this how you know there was a lot of people bummed out about new icon changes and all all the things coming down the pipeline and just you could get super bummed about it and super bummed about the sport but there are a ton of people doing a lot of good things in our industry and a lot of really cool mountains that aren't necessarily associated with that. And like, if you're willing to look for it, there's still so many bright spots in skiing 
and in our like just outdoors world in general yeah that like you got to celebrate that stuff too otherwise like you said like it's very easy to get very negative quickly yeah you can get burnt out and i think you see it and it's being talked about a lot more for sure like that this industry burns you the fuck out sometimes right because it feels like you're running up against a wall yeah it's uh yeah it's a shame but yeah there, you're right there's a ton of bright spots like there's a lot of good things i mean even it it's funny i tried to be positive about the veil news yesterday and still yeah. like half of the comments on our instagram are like this is bullshit like how is a patroller only worth one dollar more and i'm like dude like that's not the point like they were getting like 14 at park city before like now this is 20 like that's so much better. Nobody's saying that they're only worth $1 more. Like nobody's making that comparison, right? It's just mm-hmm. because it got announced at the same time, everybody's like trying to take something negative out of it. And then there's the, everybody's a fucking contrarian. And I'm just like, I- I'm so sick of the internet. <laughs> so sick of yeah. the internet. I keep saying I'm going to quit the internet. And then, you know. Yeah, you never less happens. than quit the internet. You like dive into the internet further. Yeah, somehow, somehow. Another yeah. portal. Keep keep finding these portals. Yeah, you keep diving into shit. It's it's uh yeah, it's it's a weird place. I don't want to get too hung up on that part of it, but yeah, it's I think there's a lot of good stuff. There's a lot of local resorts that are doing great things too. It's just mm. uh, we're it seems like we're up against a lot of different battles, especially like the climate change one, like you mentioned, is is huge. And I don't think that that gets talked about a lot, but I, don't, I still don't think it gets talked about enough, especially not like in the media platforms that actually matter as opposed to just people yelling on Instagram, you know? So, and solutions. Like, I think that is like the thing that is like, I always ask people when I have them on that are like, whether it's a glaciologist or somebody that just like is well-versed in the climate space, like what, what can be done on a, on a person to person level. And, I feel like I still haven't gotten a good answer. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm still very actively searching for it too, man. Like, again, I feel very overwhelmed when I start to look at what we're, we're up against um, with climate change and, and all the things that can be done that to make it that can is within our power to do. Um, so yeah, that's where I, I actually really lean on, on my friends. Like I, I admittedly lean on friends like, like Heather or like David page. I'm not sure if you've read much of his stuff, but yeah, yeah, just um, the people that are kind of on the front lines talking to the right sources, talking to the right um, glaciologists, climatologists and, and politicians, frankly. Yeah. Um, And that's kind of the cool part about my job is that I get to learn about all this stuff and I think it's important that I admit that like, I'm not the end all be all on everything, even though I'm in like a position of quote unquote power with a magazine. Like I'm still learning every day what's going on out there. Right. So, yeah. Which uh, is, I think that's important to acknowledge for sure. Like, I mean, at the end of the day, it's like you run a magazine, I run a podcast, like none of this actually matters in the grand scheme of things. Like, it's not like we walk down the street and people are like, Oh, that guy, that guy has power, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. but it's, uh, it is, it's valuable in this space, I think, you know, and I think taking all the information from the people like your friends and you're in a place where you have friends like that, right? Like Heather, like David Page, like, like dude, people that just, people that just know shit. Yeah. It's kind of cool to feel like you're the dumb person in the room sometimes. Like it's rad. I'm the dumb person in the room every time I just sit and listen so often. And it's like, it's, it's, it's great. 
Yeah. Yeah. I'm just smarter by proxy. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> um, speaking of Heather, Heather wanted me to ask you about what you wore on your first day at powder. Oh, oh, oh yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> I was fresh off a trip to Cuba. Uh, I graduated college in Cuba taking a photography course. If anyone's looking how to cheat the college system, please hit me up at <laughs> Instagram and I will explain everything. But uh, yeah, my last classes in Cuba, I had to get from Cuba to Southern California and pretty much just had clothes from Cuba and it was sweltering hot. And they told me that I needed, we had a big meeting the first day and that like I needed to wear my best clothing, like a suit would be appropriate, but anything I had that was close to that. <laughs> So I'm like, oh my God, this is my first day at powder, the Bible of skiing, and I'm blowing it. Like I'm rolling in hot from the Caribbean. What <laughs> I do? And I wore like this, like has like a pastel pink button-down shirt. I don't know what happened to, and like khaki pants that were hopefully clean. And I was just way overdressed. And I got in the office and the old powder office was combined with surfer and surfing and skateboarding, like all of the classic mags. Right. I passed some surf bros are in like Hawaiian shirts and Bermuda shorts and maybe shoes. I don't even know. And <laughs> looking at me, like I have four heads and I walked into the pit, the powder pit with all the editors and they just all start cracking up. And I realized, yeah, that I was the intern, definitely you, the intern. That you got day. punked. I did big time, man. Um, That's amazing. But I guess the guy, the intern for snowboarding, or yes, snowboarding. Uh, he snowboarder. Sorry, he wore a full like tuxedo. Like no also, way. And he went way further with it. Oh, that's amazing. That's it's good to be second. I think yeah. in that in that race, like it's good to be made fun of a little, but not as much as the as the dude who really committed to it. A little hazy, but, I think, is appropriate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I feel like that was like six months of hazing, but it, it made me strong. <laughs> you had six months of hazing? I don't know. I, <laughs> I I kept losing my desk. At one point, I ended up at a desk that was just full of landline telephones, and what like there was no, I, it was it was like a stack of landlines just on in a cubicle there was nowhere to sit it was just like a mountain of landlines <laughs> what I, okay why how do you lose your desk just other people kept coming into the offices that were either like doing interviews or like visiting and they would just they'd hand off give your desk. Desk. they'd oh be like my. you're not sitting here today <laughs> oh my god that's amazing what yeah what was working at powder like like what was the whole i because i think I you're the first person I think I've had on that will probably actually talk about like powder and the experience and what the whole, what the whole thing was like for you personally. Um, you know, I, I've mentioned to a couple people in the past, but, uh, basically the way I think of powder was when I rolled into powder, the, the world was small and, and leaving, I realized how big it could be. Um, just based off the fact that like, I rolled in right after the 40th anniversary volume and I was sitting with, with rock stars that had been all over the world for the sake of skiing, you know, and 
I didn't really know what that was like coming from the East Coast and pretty much growing up and skiing exclusively in New England. And these guys are talking about, you know, like serving themselves beers with Darren Rolfs after the Hanukkah in... <laughs> And you're like, wait, what? How is this even a thing? And but also just incredibly humble and, and welcoming. So I was like at once like starstruck. And on the other hand, like very much felt like I was part of this this family that they always talk about. Yeah. Um and it was cool to see like that skiing was in good hands, you know? Yeah. Um and they would let me, I think the first article they let me write for print was about ski town burritos. Like they were down to do whatever. Um, and then, you know, working with Reddick, just like the absolute legend of ski photography, you know, and yeah. he, he sat down and went through photos with me of like, you know, really shitty ski days that it had at like J peak, you know, he didn't yeah. need to do that, but he coached me on that a little bit and, and started showing me other photos and he'd sit me down when they were making calls on, on covers for powder. Like, are you kidding me? And they're like, okay, what do you think of these four covers? And, you know, I'd just get it wrong. I'd be like, Oh yeah, this is an opinion question. I somehow still got it wrong. Like, Oh, I'll do number four. And they're like, yeah, number four has been out for like two weeks. We're not even considering, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, yeah, man, I just like felt like there was a lot of good creative energy there and people that came in and out of that place have all gone on to do pretty awesome stuff. Like Heather and Rogi were my bosses, you know? Yeah. They're both crushing it. Uh, John Clary Davies, who's kind of stepped aside, but is doing stuff in New Mexico and living the, the ski dream down there. He was super influential. John Stifter... Derek Taylor had just stepped aside, but was like still around. It was just like a who's who. And then like, like Rory Bushfield would roll in and like smoke weed with people and leave. And you're like, what, how? Yeah. Like what is happening? Yeah. It was, I felt like I was, you know what it was? I felt like it was in one of those sports center commercials. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like the Celtics one with Rayon and Kevin Garnett and they're like in the cubicle, like the big threes in the cubicle. Yeah, you just wander around the door and you never knew who was going to be in the cubicle that day. You're like, oh, okay. So yeah. we're going to go play paintball with Tanner Hall <laughs> and then like hang out with Idolo and get a snack with Chris Davenport. Like, what? Yeah. He snacks? That's awesome. I didn't realize that. Yeah. <laughs> he eats food? Yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, yeah, that doesn't seem to exist anymore. Like, obviously, I, we're, I'm aware of powder, but like, it doesn't seem to exist in terms of like a cultural destination for people to like gather like that anymore. Well, I think that's the saddest part about what ultimately went down. You know, it's just that this powder was a rallying point for so many of us and for skiing in general. And, uh, dude, around the world, you could drop that name and, and people would open up their doors for you. You know, um, everyone kind of heard of it and, there aren't a lot of things that everybody agrees on, but that was one that like powder was it for so many of us. Um, and, and yeah, I'm super thankful for that. Like that's, that gave me a definitely ground to stand on and to keep growing from. So. Yeah. Can I, can I ask you, maybe you have some insight on this. Maybe you don't. What, what actually caused the end of powder, right? Like, cause there's a lot of reasons that I think I've heard people say, but I don't know yeah. that any of them are the actual reason 
And I imagine it's just a combination of things that caused it. But I, I, it seemed like it was going reasonably well. Like, it didn't seem like it had fallen off. Like, yeah, I mean, there was a lot of ad content and like it had definitely changed over the years, like especially the last five. But I don't Mm. think that there was anything really lost there. So uh, that's why it was like when the news came out, I was confused. Yeah, I think we all were. And even being pretty close to the inside, but not being fully in, um, I was confused and, and shocked and I don't have a whole lot more insight into it than, than you do other than the, the ship was very much still, or the train is very much still on the tracks, you know? Um, yeah. So that was why it was such a blow uh, for me personally. Cause like I, I was sitting in edit conference uh, the last year that they were running things and, and it was an edit conference just like any other year. And, and there was some really good stuff on tap and, I, I don't think you can look at any of the edit side and say that's that's why yeah. what happened happened. Um, and that's the only side I'm really associated with. So I, I can't, that's a long way to say I can't answer your question, dude. I'm yeah, sorry. That's okay. And I've asked Reddick to come on too, because I'd really like to talk to him. But he's basically like, I can't yet. And if as soon as I can, I will. And that's mm-hmm. like what I'm kind of looking forward to is like getting some answers to that kind of stuff. Because... I think even I I've heard Sierra talk about it and I've asked Sierra about it and like heard Powell talk to Sierra about it. And I'm just like, I, I don't know that I fully understand anything about it right now, but I don't know. Yeah, no, neither do I, but I will be tuned in for the, the Reddick tell all for, for sure. For sure. If he does in fact end up doing it, which I hope <laughs> he does. But um, can I ask you some stuff about what you have going on? at ski journal like what what are you guys doing differently like what is the goal like issue to issue how do you guys make sure that you stay relevant like i mean everything is digital now Mm. how does a magazine that you actually have to pick up hold and kind of go through and and subscribe to how do you stay relevant right i mean and on the editorial side how do you make it so that like the content is all developed in a way that people are are engaged with it right yeah uh that's another thing I never really thought about taking over a magazine, but it's, it's quite a bit of future casting. Uh, we're, you know, looking way far out. I'm, I'm reporting stories for, you know, next October, next November right now. Right. Uh, and I make a call on that story to start the process back in December, you know? So we have to make sure those places you, you try and like, load your deck a little bit like you're not gonna choose something that is that can change at the drop of a hat but you also want to still be somewhat current so um i think having a plan but also being able to ship that plan at a moment's notice is something that people don't realize we do um this year for example like we had unexpected news come down the pipeline in in august that uh, you know, we were pulling out of Afghanistan and that was very wild very quickly. And we already had everything set for publication. We're already three issues in at that point. And you have to be able to be like, well, dang, this is, this is news that's affecting our world. Is there, how can we tell the story and get this in there in a quick and timely and respectful way? I mean, especially in that situation, right? Yeah. Um, so 
I guess it's the the best way to describe it is to have like 75% of your book figured out and then another 25 just for this, like, just to realize you're living in a world that's dynamic and changing by the day yeah. and have the right people on call to pull that off and then just don't sleep ever. <laughs> yeah, I guess, I guess that's the part it, it, dude, it's, it's so crazy to me. Like, the coming together of a magazine is something that my brain does not like, I, I can't even, I can't even figure out a way to make it work in my head. Right. Cause it's like, I, I think about all forms of media and I'm like, okay, like how can we do what we're doing here and like mix all the things. In? And the thing that always sets apart from whatever digital media you can do is a magazine. Right. But it's always mm-hmm. like, I always go back to it as the thing that I still want to hold. And I think I'm the, I'm like, just barely the right age where magazines matter to me. Yeah. The younger, the younger generation, like the, I don't know how old, like the 20 year olds of the world. I don't know that they actually care about a magazine. Right. And I guess Mm -hmm. that's something maybe you can speak to is like, how, how do, how do you make it relevant for the younger generation? Like for the kids that are like, I don't know, like somebody that picked up powder at age 15 or 16 years old and was flipping through looking for a Tanner Hall story or a Rory Bushfield story. Uh, it's funny because I think I was brought in to kind of make the magazine a little younger, which is really funny because I'm not even like How old that. Are you? I'm old enough, dude. Uh, I'm 33. <laughs> I'm old enough. Okay. 33 is the age where you stop answering how old you are. Nah, I don't care. Um, yeah, another year older, another year not doing the same thing. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I think. I, I mean, yeah, to stay relevant, to stay kind of connected to the ground, right? And connected to our core. Uh, again, I, I I do a lot of studying myself and I, I'm pretty involved in what's going on. Um, but asking other people also, like, who's your favorite skier right now? Or what's going on out there that, like, you're psyched on that you feel like we're, people are blowing right now? You'd be surprised how much feedback you get. And then from there, you'd... I don't know. I, I've got like a, a decent sense of some of this stuff. Uh, I'll like, I'll pull on some threads and I don't know, we're on, we're on Instagram and all these social medias so often that it's, it's pretty easy to connect. Like you can send out a question and if somebody answers it a certain way, you're like, Oh, there's some legs to this. Like let's run after it a little bit. Um, and I mean, honestly, like you help uh, a lot of other people are in our space that are, are doing some of this legwork for us, you know, um, and everybody, there's no gatekeeping when it comes to information, right? If it's a good story, it's a good story. Um, told a lot of different ways and you can attack it from so many different angles. And, um, like if you've, if you're talking about an issue with, with mental health and you're talking with Drew Peterson, right? Right. Uh, Drew will be the first to admit that he's not the only person that's dealing with something like that. So, Right. Can we take what Drew has talked about and can we apply it to a different person or a different scenario or uh, a different demographic? And um, there's always there's always a story. It's just like finding. Yeah, timing's important on it. But like if you just do a little bit of digging, there's there's always something that'll keep people interested. Yeah. Um, I think the interesting part with a magazine is, OK, let's keep the young people the youths uh, involved, but then also how do we 
get them reading the same magazine that a 60 year old woman or guy is reading yeah. and is interested in like, you need to find that balance. And that's been like a really cool challenge for me is like, okay, you need like some of this heli trip powder porn type stuff, but then you've got people who are interested in like issues involving ski towns. So you got to hit that. And then maybe you want something a little more foreign and exotic hit that but then also we need some free skiing in there and something that wraps us into the current day so like you kind of start to develop this formula and fill in those pieces and uh it is just a puzzle man like you just you gotta put it together yeah i think that's the hardest part about any media is like figuring out how to hit different demographics right like because for like for us, for example, it's like I know we crush 18 to 36 year olds, you know, like that's like our target demographic. Like that's who we hit genders all over the place. But like and then sometimes depending on who we have on or whatever, like we go outside of that range a little bit. But it's it's really hard to go outside of that. Like I have almost no ability to connect with a 70 year old. Like there's like 10 70 year olds that listen to this show probably, you know, like maybe you know, and I've, I've met them all personally, I bet. So it's, it's really difficult. And I think that's a challenge that everybody in media faces at one point or another is like, how do you make your product more relevant, especially in something as niche as ski? Like Mm -hmm. you're, you're already segmenting a section of outdoors and then a section of winter sports down to this little thing. And then there's little individual segments that you're going to be more, more core, more like, I don't know, at home speaking to. Whether it's yeah. park or touring or fucking telly, I guess. Well, nobody really cares about telly, but um, <laughs> some some people care about telly. Um, you guys up for a telly issue coming out in October. Big, all, big drop. All right telly. All, all telly. telly. Okay. All telly all the time. And you're Switch gonna, telly. <laughs> you're going to talk about all the new telly gear that's come out in the last uh, 50 years? <laughs> oh, yeah. I was just with the tele skier in France who was trying to describe all of that to me. And I I might need to give him a call back because he was fired up. About Uh, telly? Yeah, he was young. He was like late 20s and (sighs) watched a video on telly 10 years ago and made the switch like cold turkey. Yeah. I, Adam X, who hosts the show on Wednesday, was a tele skier up until this year and still is a tele skier. Like, if, he'll like be yelling at people from the chairlift, like, wait the back foot, wait the back foot. Like, people that are like, try, and I'm just like, this is not it. But he, he always used to say, I became a tele skier because I was an okay skier skier. But then as soon yeah. as I got on tele skis, like, I got to be good at tele skiing. And then when you're a good tele skier, you're like one of the few good tele skiers. So it puts you in like this upper echelon. But like, the gear is kind of whack and it's dated and it hasn't really, I don't know. I guess it shares a lot of things with Alpine Touring, but that's progressing and tele is less, yeah. less progressing. Yeah, it's a complicated place to be. Yeah. Also, uh, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I don't know. We were talking about demographics and niche on niche and yeah. niche, but. Yeah, it's, it's a difficult thing. And I, I don't know that anybody's doing a great job at it. Like, honestly, like, I think that it's a struggle and it's hard for a magazine to do it because of the nature of a magazine, right? Nobody's really pulling all the pieces together and putting it in one network. I mean, outside kind of does it, but they're like behind a paywall and yeah. there's so many ads and it is uh, not always, I mean, sometimes it's really good and sometimes it's really bad. And I guess that's yeah. like, that's where it, where it exists. And 
I don't know. Rogie does his thing, and I think his thing is really unique. Um, but it kind of sits in a category of its own, and I don't know if everybody. And I know everybody doesn't get it. Yeah, I mean, he's he's got a pretty big mountain to climb, and I think he's doing a really good job with it so far. It's yeah. just he's he's got uh, you know, the mountain world's huge, and he is boiling it down and putting it all together in a pretty cool ass magazine. I it have is to a cool admit. Ma- it, yeah, I have to admit it too. Like it is a it is a fucking cool magazine. It's just a lot of work and uh I feel for him on that. I think he's doing a good job, but I yeah, I definitely I'm not sure I'd be up for the task. And he's taking it on like full steam ahead, you know. Dude, it's not my magazine, it's your magazine or whatever he says forty times a week. It's 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 great. He's figured out a way to market this thing and I'm I I really actually enjoy watching him do it. He's leaning on it, man. And you know, I I love calling Rogie because I call Rogie and I mean, first of all, he gave me a shot at this whole thing, which is like, right. I still can't believe that at all, but uh, I'll, I'll, I'll give him a call and I will get off the phone and be like buzzing. I'll have so many ideas. I don't know what it is. He just like, just like yeah. electrocutes when you call him. Yeah. And I'm super appreciative of that. Like as far as like a, kindred creative soul he's like a really good person to jump on the phone with for sure he's just got so much energy and so many ideas i think he's got too many ideas for his own head to handle sometimes and i think that's like it's insane to talk to him sometimes i'm just like what are you talking about right now it's amazing man he operates on a different frequency for sure he definitely does um <laughs> anyway enough enough rogi ego boosting right now um <laughs> um can we talk about like travel stuff? Like what, where have you been recently? Like, where did you just come back from? Like we were talking about it a little bit before, but I don't think we were recording it, but what, where have you been? What's uh, what's the story with that? Um, well, you know, for someone who traveled a lot, uh, I kind of got my wings clipped the last few years, like all of us. Uh, but I just got back from a trip to Europe. Uh, I was in France and Spain kind of flirting with that border and the Pyrenees um and that's for a story that will come out in the ski journals hopefully first issue but maybe second depending on how productive i actually am um but uh yeah i i've been traveling for a while that's kind of why i got into this a little bit was like oh they give you plane tickets to go places and meet people like sign me <laughs> up. yeah and you know what i have been kind of blowing it for for about 10 years because I like skiing dirt and ice, I found out. I didn't realize this, but I am so bad at sending myself to like ski pow. And there are some people that are so good at like, oh yeah, I went on this sick cat skiing trip to BC and we scored like the whole week. We didn't even see the sun and it was just like overhead the whole time. And I'm like, oh shoot. I like sent myself to rural China and and we just like skied on rocks the whole time. And it took me 36 hours to get there and I got sick eating goat meat, but I guess it's the same thing, right? Um, that is not the so, same thing, kid. That is not the same yeah, thing. <laughs> I, I think I've just been doing it wrong. But the fact is like, for me, the cool stories are on the fringe of our sport. And there are always these 
the the fringe just continues to reveal itself the more i'm in this there are just so many different people doing what we love um and obviously our sport has been pretty restrictive in the past when we're talking about barriers to entry and and just the rising cost of our sport uh but it is really refreshing and nice to find people who find a way right yeah uh, one of the coolest stories i ever wrote was about this east german dude who when the wall fell his family could not figure out their financial situation like so many east germans and they booked it to a commune in namibia in africa and this is going to come around i swear and uh <laughs> that's okay he was down there and he like he found a pair of skis that this old traveling Frenchman had and like couldn't carry with him anymore and like bought this pair of skis and went out into the sand dunes behind their house and figured out how to dune ski and now runs like the largest dune skiing operation in the world and like has people visit him to go skiing in Namibia. No um, shit. So like weird strings that you find again i hate the internet but it can be a wonderful place you just find these weird stories and and stuff kind of just keeps appearing and uh that is where most of my travels led to and it's gotten me some really cool really weird um really not recommended situations by most people's standards but it usually makes for a cool story so What's, as long as people keep listening. What's the weirdest thing that's happened to you on a trip? Um, a ski, I guess a ski intended trip. Ski intended trip. Like something that you're doing for yeah. travel that you're doing for skiing. Oh man. Um, let's see that. That could go a lot of different ways. Uh, I think. Well, I got two. I'll, I'll give you two quick ones. But yeah. one was probably a trip to China that ended up producing some pretty cool content. Um, and pretty much just the whole trip was a total <laughs> weird experience. But uh, at one point, we're skiing on this this crater volcano, this crater lake that was an old volcano um, that collapsed in on itself and, and all that. And through the middle of that crater is the border between China and North Korea and the crater lake itself like the crater has all these sick lines to ski but we couldn't tell where the border was and it was a group of like five of us and uh and the guy who was our guide is like oh yeah just look for the white rock it was winter like everything was white and the rock was under 10 feet of snow we couldn't see where the border was. We're like skinning around the outside of this crater being like, we're not really sure where the border is, but like, we definitely don't want to step into the wrong side. This was like right around the time where that um, Virginia frat boy was in prison. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. It was not a good time to be an American in either China or North Korea. <laughs> and uh, we were just skinning and we had no idea what country we we're in until this dude is like straight up from Star Wars popped out of the snow full like white no way with a rifle Chinese guard and he's like nope nope not that way pretty much and we were like oh uh okay well I guess we'll ski right then instead of left um, <laughs> what do you like 
as somebody who is, I mean, you've traveled a lot, so I think you kind of get the, like, that the American perspective and the American way of doing things isn't always the way that, and it's very seldom the way that people do things in other countries. Like, how yeah. do you treat that kind of situation where you're like, okay, obviously there's a language barrier, there's mm-hmm. communication issues, and just the way, like, your freedoms as an American, like, we sometimes take for granted, and then you go to a different country and realize that, you know, access is not exactly the same in these other places. Well, I'll tell you what, actually, that makes the story even better was that I was with a group of Canadians. I was one of two Americans in a group of like five Canadians. And the two Americans were spooked and went right. Uh, the Canadians were like, yeah, we can't understand you. We can't understand you. And they kept going. They just like kept they they acted uh, ignorant to the situation and they just like ignored the guard with the rifle and kept like skinning off into the distance. and. Uh, we were like, how does this end? Like me and the other American that I was traveling with were, were pretty spooked. Um, we knew the whole time we were in China that uh, we really need to tuck that American ego away. Yeah. <laughs> that was a moment where was, there was a couple different reactions to how things could have gone down. And I think the Americans opted for the safe one. Um, nothing happened. They went like, another like 20 meters and turned around but oh, okay. it was it was tense for for a second there um the whole china trip was very tense and actually china in general was a very eye-opening experience because we were there in 2016 and they had won the olympics and were just starting to build that infrastructure we just all saw on tv you yeah. know um yeah that, fucking that insane bullet, shit. yeah that bullet train from beijing they were in the process of uprooting people from their family homes oh to build God. that bullet train. Um, yeah, it was, it was wild. Uh, I made a lot of good friends on that trip that were Chinese and not many of them are still there. Uh, just because of the way things are run over there, it's, it's just difficult. Um, so to see that from the inside was really interesting. Um, Maybe one of the most interesting things of the whole trip was learning about the Great Firewall, uh, the whole censorship program that goes on over there and how effective it is. Yeah, I I don't know. Yeah, explain this. Basically, YouTube, Google, Facebook, those don't exist in China. They're just they're just shut down by Internet censors. Um, And so like that is a bummer right and people have figured out a way around it though they get these vpns that give you a proxy server and you connect with the internet in like hong kong and all of a sudden the internet is big again and that's a real thing over there but what i thought was fascinating was there's entire there's an entire industry built around bringing things around the wall so there's like a company think like 20 cubicles of people that are on VPNs all day, scouring the internet and finding videos on YouTube. They found like all the Candide videos. They were huge fans of line traveling circus. So Will Wesson and Andy Perry, huge in China. They're not kidding when they say that. They actually are. That's and, <laughs> But almost because of these guys, because they were finding the content and in a way curating it, right? And asking for permission and bringing it, sometimes asking for permission, bringing it around the wall and posting it on their own government approved servers that weren't YouTube, that weren't Google related. 
And all of a sudden China can see skiing for the first time. And I thought that was like really powerful and, and amazing, right? It's like, they might not know who Glenn Plake is in China, but they definitely know who Andy Perry is. And that's because these guys like went out, found it, brought it around this informational void and like gave it to millions and millions of people. That's in, yeah, that's absolutely insane. That's so it's just the access to, in, to information and the lack yeah. of access to information that they have over there is, is crazy to think about. Also sidebar real quick, because I'd be remit. Like if I didn't get this in, I'd be very sad, but Ethan also knows who Andy Perry is and doesn't know who Glenn Plake is. So that is uh that is uh, <laughs> I feel like a very good segue into something here. Um, it's it's great yes we make fun of him for it all he literally was like who's glenn plake and we're like dude god fucking damn but he knows who fucking tommy walnuts is so i guess that uh here's now yeah exactly but yeah it's it's crazy to see that level of censorship and how well it works oh yeah and that could be turned on and off uh pretty much at a moment's notice is yeah yeah that's insane that's crazy yeah i learned a lot there it was it was wild we went to western china and we're um in the uyghur autonomous zone and that was really powerful it was like one of the first there wasn't a lot of news coming out of there when we went over there but to see that firsthand was uh was really eye-opening and and yeah changed my perspective on a lot of stuff um and seeing that ski history and how it connected with the land and and all the stories of early skiing over there and how it kind of been appropriated and used to, to basically get the Olympics in 2022 was like, yeah, it was wild. That was a lot. It was a, a month long trip that felt like three years, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's absolutely insane. I, yeah. Anyway, uh, a few things, a few more things that I want to ask you about before I let you go. Um, yeah. Obviously there's a lot going on in Ukraine right now at, there's a very notable ski factory there um, that is, uh, you know, near and dear to my heart um, that basically is like completely shut down there. And I know a lot of people that have like friends and family that have either come over to the U.S. and like kind of like sheltered themselves here or they're there and they're like fighting in a war. Like, does is there a place for conversation in the ski industry when it comes to things like war, things like like the really serious shit that goes on in the world, right? Because I think sometimes we, like, we put out this, like, I put out content like this, like, where it's, like, it's more important than just skiing, and people are like, okay, like, this isn't the place for it, you know? Or people will be appreciative that it is a place for it, you know? So I guess what is, where is your stance as an editor of a magazine? Where do you think that kind of content belongs? Like, the sto- those kinds of stories. Yeah, um... You know, I think Powder got a lot of heat for this in their their last few years of like taking on a lot of those stories and like straying from the good times narrative that is skiing in a lot of ways. And I respected the shit out of them for making that call. Um, I think it's really hard to do, but I think the vacuum's a tough place to be if you want to live in a globalized society, right? Um, I think you do need to acknowledge some of that stuff and at the same time, remember that it's not all doom and gloom. I think that's something that you and I should probably take to heart because yeah. you can get deep and dark real quick, but we do do some 
pretty awesome shit on the day to day. And we're very lucky to do what we do. Sure. Uh, that doesn't mean that we, it can't be an and conversation, right? Like it, that we can't right. acknowledge both. So, I mean, I think if there's a way skiing sometimes seems, seems like such a small platform to tell these bigger stories, but it is a platform and there are people affected that are like you and me in the sense that they like to slide on snow. So like, right. if that's our common bond like let that be the connector and then tell their story through that um and ukraine i'm not as familiar with but i know friends that have spent time over there and bopped between there and russia and, and skied you know and there is there's certainly threads to pull on there and people to talk to and the refugee crisis coming out of there is going to be an unfolding story for a long time um obviously not the only refugee story though right and sure. uh like it's crazy how quickly we i mean i think it's just our brains can only handle so much right it's not that we forgot but like right. afghanistan was in august and syria is ongoing and you know all these things are palestine like i mean it's like that's like oh right. yeah it's insane it's endless, but I think that if you do find a way to tell that story, if it's through skiing, if it's through fucking pickleball or whatever it is, the connector, right. uh, listen. And if you think it's a story that like you can tell, like help tell it. If you think it's a story that someone else can tell, like give them the space to do it. And I don't know, like as long as I'm hanging with the ski journal and, and we're doing cool stuff. Um, and I think, everyone working there would would say the same whether it's like colin wiseman or like andrew marshall on the photo side or jesse who's designing the mags like we have these conversations and uh you know as long as we're around we're gonna have a at least an ear open and a place for for something like that and we're continually evolving and learning like the stuff i wrote six seven years ago makes me cringe now but like i was coming from a the place that I knew at that point. And as long as things change, we need to kind of change with them. Um, and, and yeah, that for us this year was looked like Afghanistan um, where we were like, Oh my gosh, how do we wrap our heads around this? It's too big. It's too big. We can't touch it. It's too big. Wait a second. Like we've got people who've gone over there and skied. They've got mountains. Okay. Do we talk about skiing? Like, is this like the right place to do that? Or, Oh, but wait, are there like, who are the skiers that are over there? Oh, there's this, this group of women skiers that are super impressive that, Oh, all of a sudden like Taliban takes over that world is completely shifted. Uh, all of a sudden women skiing, women's sport in general doesn't exist. Like right. that story is incredibly potent and incredibly related to our world of skiing. So like, why not attempt that story? And uh, I'm going to, yeah, as long as, again, as long as I'm working in media, I think I'm going to, keep trying to find those stories and and use the platforms that i do have to to get them out um and hopefully they make some sense but i think i think with the common threads like skiing or or recreation in general like it does resonate with people like yeah. if bobby from down the street all of a sudden is told he can't ski uh because of like some weird law that went through in that the neighborhood watch committee, like people would be up in arms. Right. It would make national news in 30 seconds. Right. But 
yeah, if if someone from from Afghanistan, maybe it's, it's a little further away from them and they don't understand that. But if it's an Afghanistan skier and they're thinking about Bobby right. and how he couldn't ski that one time, they'll be like, oh, someone else can't ski. Like, what's the deal with that? And maybe they'll listen. I don't know. Uh, it's, maybe. it's always maybe. But like, yeah. Yeah. And I think you can kind of bring it back to those and conversations. Right. It's like it's it's really important to be able to look at both sides of things and be like, all right, like here's where things are relatable. Right. And then here's where like, it's important to just know about the, not just the culture of skiing, but the culture that exists outside of skiing. Right. And the world that exists outside of skiing, because I think we get as skiers, we're so obsessed with the sliding on snow thing and calling it that by the way, which every time someone does that, I'm like, I don't know how I feel about that. Cause I do it too. And I'm just like, I don't know about the sliding on snow. I don't like that. Term that I'm much, more slipping, but, but yeah, no, I, I get you. Yeah, same, exactly. Um, but yeah, I, I guess I just don't. We get so obsessed with this idea of skiing that a lot of times it it almost doesn't allow us to look at everything outside of skiing and how it could potentially affect what we want to do too, right? Because everything comes back like the world works in that way, right? Like everything is affected by what goes on outside of our little bubble. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right. And, and I'm not going to be, I'm not gonna be a downer, but I, I'm not going to apologize for making you think every once in a while, you know? Same. So and I think if you get people going, that's like, mm-hmm. that's how you actually sustain long-term too. Right. It's like, you keep making content that like makes people feel one way or the other. And that's always like, it's like that good publicity is bad is, or bad publicity is good publicity. Like it's, it's all publicity. Like, all the same, like you're growing in a way it kind of applies here where it's like, all right, like if you make people mad, so what you make people mad, like, right. Mm -hmm. They're not happy with the way that you phrase things. Like I deal with this all the time. Like I have to block five people a week, I think at this point, you know, like it's, it's absolutely insane, but I think it helps in a weird way where I don't know if people are upset, that means they care. Right. And I think caring is better than not caring. Yeah. Caring, paying attention, all of it, I think ultimately will lead to, to conversation, hopefully to action. Right. You want to catch the right person's ears on the right day. And yeah. And like, be cool if people do come back at you, like to listen to them too. Um, For sure. They're probably wrong, you know, but no, I'm kidding. But uh <laughs> No, dude, I, I only end up blocking people. Like I'm so quick to the block button is if, if it becomes personal to someone else, right? Like if they start like going at other people in the comments, like in a fucking aggressive way, I'm like, this is where it ends. Like for you, I'm sorry. Like, I'm sorry. Like it is what it is. I, <laughs> I, I am down for an argument on the internet every day of the week. Like I, I could do that shit all day. It is, I, it gives me like a sense of like, I am aggressive with it and I'm fine with that too. I think everybody else's uh, chagrin here. Everybody, nobody likes that. I do that, but it's, it's fine. It's a power button, man. Um, My, my blocking history is a lot lamer. Uh, Actually, this is, (laughs) I gotta, I gotta air this out because I'm feeling super guilty about it. But uh, my phone is set to Spanish because I'm really trying to keep that language life up and running. And uh, usually it's fine, but my Instagram is also set to Spanish. And I recently was going to tag 
a buddy and and realized he didn't exist on the internet and like I got really concerned about it and I went and I like texted him and was like did you drop off the gram like what's the deal are you taking like a, a break here or what's going on he's like what are you talking about man and I had to go translate a bunch of stuff but eventually I got in and I had accidentally blocked him for like two years oh my God. <laughs> and I'm not sure how I did it but he's the only person that's in my blocked folder like at all ever the history of my block folder is one accidental block of like a good buddy that wow. I thought wasn't on Instagram I thought he'd like figured out a way to get off the gram but Oh, that's kind of sweet, though, that you reached out and you were like, I care enough to reach out. And then he found out he probably is like, fuck, he blocked me for something like what? Right. Now I'm like, shoot, we've been <laughs> hanging out. We've been hanging out for two years, you know, like. And, oh, and you've and been never seeing stopped. him. This isn't somebody that you haven't been see- like. <laughs> no, no, this is like somebody to hang with. And so I don't know. Do you get like notices when you're blocked? No. Okay. You just well, can't see anything that they do anymore. Like they don't exist yeah. to you. But do they, they don't send you like a, a, like a notice. It's like, you have been blocked by blah, blah, no. blah. You just, oh, okay. Well, at least that didn't happen. But I don't know if he realized and it was just awkward for two years and that was the elephant in the room. Probably not. But I, I thought it was pretty I, hope not. I don't know that. Yeah, I don't know. Our, yeah, our block histories are very different. Ours is like, for the for my personal, I don't think I have anybody blocked. But like my, the social one, I don't know. We probably have 300 people blocked. Um, it's, okay. it, it's insane. People are just nuts. They just come out of the woodworks. And especially when it's like people that don't follow you, I'm like, eh, let's fucking, <laughs> let's fucking relax a little bit here. Cowboy. Dang, you're getting the people going, huh? Uh, yeah. Apparently I make somebody mad every single week. Like it's, it's, it's insane. Speaking of making people mad, uh, I actually should ask you about this because he's our next guest and I uh, would like to ask you a question or two about Mr. Ahmet. Um, I... I'm going to talk to Ahmet in like 25 minutes or something. Um, and I'm wondering what, like, we talked about it a little bit already, but like, I don't know how to navigate a lot of what he says. And I don't know. I also don't want to be, I never want to be the person that tells somebody that they shouldn't say something or shouldn't do something. Like I never want to be the like silencing person right I, I want him to be able to like talk and talk freely and I guess how do you feel about us giving him a platform to kind of talk about stuff because he's like on one right now and I know like you and I have kind of soft spots I think for where he's at and yeah I I don't know I I liked him a lot growing up and I still do he seems like when we talk he's really nice to me and then I see like the aggressive shit that he posts and I'm like fuck you know, so I I just kind of would like your take on it from an editor's perspective. Like, how do you deal with that? Yeah, I don't know. It, it is tough, especially in our world where you develop these relationships with people, right? Like, he's forever. I hate New York to me, you know, and yeah. and like East Coast in a completely different place with his skiing and that whole crew. And I've also met him in person. Super nice guy. So that part's tough. I, I think that from a journalistic standpoint, I think you just got to keep asking like the why question a little bit and, and see if you guys do have some common ground somewhere. Um, but that, yeah, at some level there has to be some discretion on, is this, is this just a, a soapbox or is this a conversation? Right. 
that's what I'm worried about, I guess. And I, I guess my, my question is, is do you, cause I've gotten this text message a few times now is like, it's wrong to give him a platform. Do you think it's wrong mm-hmm. to give him a platform or do you think it's just wrong if I let him use it as a soapbox? I would say the latter. Um, I think a platform and discussion sense is way different than a, than like a, here you can go on a massive monologue. Um, it will take, yeah, some like discipline on your part to be like, Hey, this is what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's, that's just tough as it is. And especially with what you're doing where what I'm doing is I can have that conversation and I can go back and revisit it before I write something, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. I guess I could just not put it out. Yeah. And then, or triangulate it with, with somebody else and be like, Hey, Ahmed said this, how do you feel about that? And then you can get a con, yeah. you can get a uh, yeah. perspective. I'm interested but, uh, to see how it goes. Yeah, man, not an, not an enviable position, but also like, man, I'm tuned in for that. It's I think be... a lot of people are like, and that's why I'm, that's kind of why I'm doing it is because like, I don't want to see him go like the Mueller route or like, yeah, yeah please no. Please yeah. No, I'm at, like that's, that's what, I'm, that's what I'm saying is like, that's why I wanted to have the conversation and I'm going to bring that part up too. It's like, yeah, you'll lose all of it. Right. Like, and then you're going to be like, oh, yeah, cool. Like you have your life and you have your thoughts and your opinions. But if like at some point shutting the fuck up about stuff that is like maybe too fringe in mm-hmm. terms of an opinion is, is sometimes the best way to just keep existing in a way that's, but maybe that's not what he wants to do. I don't know. I guess I'll find out. I don't know. It's, it's strange because he's done so much work uh, to build so many bridges too. Um, so I, I don't know. I'd love to see where his head's at. And if he wants a third party to come in and ask questions, I, I guess I could do that. But I, I don't know, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe that'll be the yeah, that'll be the, the editorial we need afterwards. So we'll see, we'll see how it goes. We're getting, get Andy Perry on. Where, where is he at? Oh, God. For that, like, and have Andy do that? I don't know. Just they have some. They have like early history together. Yeah, I don't think. I don't think so. McFall's texted me and was like, Mm-mm. and I was like, mm. <laughs> it'll be okay. And he was like, all right, it'll be okay then. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Um, yeah. cool. Um, Cade, I love what you're doing. I think it's great. Like, I'm a I'm a big fan. The website is amazing, by the way. Your music taste is uh, surprisingly good. Um, I was not expecting you to be like, or us to be on the same wavelength for a lot of this music. It's, it's great. Um, it is called for people that are wondering what I'm talking about Tuesday tunes, which he does not update every Tuesday. Um, (laughs) it's been, uh, it's been a year, but, (laughs) um, but it was, there's a lot of really good tidbits on, uh, on your website, uh, which is, uh, I'll pull it up here. I mean, I'm sure you can tell me what, what your web Cade Critco, Critco, uh, squarespace.com is the website. Um, but where can people find you on Instagram? Where can people find you on social Twitter, email, internet, whatever? Um, where can people find you? Uh, my Instagram got hacked a while ago. So now it's just my name, just K A D E K R I C H K O Cade Critchko. Um, like, you said not as much skiing as people probably want, but interesting tidbits if they're into that. No, it's you're, the, a, you're a really cool follow. 
Awesome. The occasional uh, reggaeton or Afrobeat recommendation as well <laughs> on my story. So tune in if you're looking for Tuesday tunes every day, all yeah. day. <laughs> um, I appreciate it. Thank you. For also, hey, what is your fucking din setting, by the way? Oh, yeah. Um, my right ski <laughs> right is a nine and my left ski is a soft seven. Did you have any injury? No, I was just trying to think of something weird to answer that. Oh, with. perfect! I, you should have done fucking six and nine, and that would have been the answer that everybody would have held on to for four years. Oh man! Well, Nyman just I'm told just... me his was twenty-four a minute ago. <laughs> Literally, he's like the bind, the race. Bind, he's like on my regular skis is twelve, but on the race stuff, it's like twenty. He's like twenty, twenty-four, some shit like that. And I'm like, what the fuck? Oh god! Yeah. So I'm like, and he called me out by the way for not asking him at the end of the interview. He's like, "You're not going to ask me about my ten setting." I'm just like, yeah, I thought I distracted you enough to get away with not answering that question. I almost made it. No, almost made it. Um, and still a fake answer. It's all good. Um, <laughs> thank you for doing this. I appreciate the time. Um, and I will. Uh, I'll send you everything when it's ready to come out. Awesome, man. And for those who aren't able to see this visual, that is a sweet visor you've got. Thank you. I actually only own it now because I was at the shop and my dog found it. Um, Like we had it on the shelf and uh, my dog found it and chewed the back of it to bits. So no longer a sellable product. So now it is a Mm -hmm. visor that I I will cherish for uh, until I lose it somewhere. Nice. Yeah. Are you, how's your gin rummy game? It looks strong when you wear that. My what? You're gin rummy. You look like a, uh, a retiree from Florida right now. I feel like a retiree. From, I did go on a run today, uh, you know, for a mile and a quarter. I feel like that's what people in Florida do. Um, or, yeah, or they fucking unretire from a sport that they retired two months ago from. So that's that's all you do in Florida. That's still uh, that's that still hurts a little bit, even though the news is only an hour old. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> are you not a uh, not a Bucks fan? Not a TV twelve fan, huh? I'm a TV Pats fan, but yeah, yeah, hard. It's, it's it's hard. It is, uh, yeah, yeah. They're gonna win next year. I I got a lot of fa- or the Bills. I mean, I don't know. I I have no loyalty in football because I'm a Giants fan. Um, so I I just have no loyalty, and they're fucking trash, and it makes me so sad every year. So I've I've given up for the time being. So I'm just a floater. Well, don't root for the Seahawks. We just had our hearts ripped out out here, and it is hilarious. Uh, not a huge Seahawks fan, but watching everybody's been <laughs> going to the Broncos has been nice, nice treat, midwinter treat. Yeah, that, uh, yeah, I don't, yeah, that is insane to me that that's the trade that got made and that there's no current quarterback really in, uh, in the situation. And also somebody just fucking signed Colin Kaepernick, like put Colin Kaepernick in that position. That'd be so weird and ironic if he ended up at the fucking Seahawks. I thought we were going to get that. I thought that was going to happen. He's like training with fucking the Lockett brothers. Like he's like, so I don't know. According to Twitter. That's all I know. All I know from anything is Twitter. So man, make it happen. Get me back into football, please. <laughs> um, awesome. Thank you, Cade. I appreciate it. I'll, uh, I'll shoot you text in a little bit. Cannon Mountain is a sponsor of the Out of Bounds podcast. They have been for quite some time and I couldn't be more psyched. There's no better crew of people. Um, at a ski resort than Canon, um, they're they're amazing, and I'm not just saying that because they pay us money. I'm saying that because they're actually the best. Like every time I need something, I need a ticket for somebody, or I just want to go ski, or I need to find out like where the good skiing is that day. Somebody takes me around, shows me where to get the goods, and I got to tell you, the skiing is as good, if not better, than anywhere else in New England. 
and I'll put it up against some places out west too. Um, it's steep. It's fun. They get their own snow patterns. Like it is, it is rad. And I will be there this weekend, Saturday for the eighties day and whatever Ethan said, what, what's the other thing called? Old school duel. Old school duel. Um, I will be there hanging out. Um, I have a wonderful outfit. I can't wait to show people that because it is ridiculous. Um, so if you want to come skiing with me in spandex, um, I will, uh, I will be there all day on Saturday. Um, so come hang out at Cannon. They currently have 55 of 97 trails open. I feel like that's one of the better ratios in all of New England right now, considering snow, snowpack and snow conditions, six of 10 lifts running. Just go to Cannon and, uh, and I'll see you there. Uh, Ahmet, why don't you tell people a little bit about yourself, who you are, um, what you do, kind of give people the rundown. Well, yeah, I guess I'm Ahmet Dali. Uh, I've been a pro skier for, let's see, 15 years? 15 okay. years? Wow. Time goes by pretty quickly, huh? It's been a minute. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, now I've kind of taken a step back and just figuring out a different route in life. And um, yeah, living it up in Indonesia. You've been in Indonesia so, for like two and a half years now or something like that, right? Like uh, I've been here for two years. Yeah, I've been here since... The uh, pandemic all started, you know, all this stuff. And <laughs> I choose to, uh, I, I pick my country right, man. I pick the right place to be. And, you know, I've been just kicking in here, surfing, relaxing, fishing, uh, hanging out beachside. And, um, you know, I've gone back to Europe to ski for three months in the past season. Okay. Uh, the season before, not this season. Um, so I have been back. But uh, pretty much two years here, other than those three months. Okay, so, cool. Um, pretty unique. Yeah, for sure, dude. You're the only pro skier I know that's in Indonesia at this point. Uh, so I, I have a few questions, obviously. We're going to talk about a lot of stuff. But I want to tell you first, like, you're one of the people that I looked up to as a kid because you were the only other brown guy that I knew that was skiing. And I like, that's kind of a shitty reason to look up to someone sometimes. But, like, when you're a kid, you're like, I want to talk to people that, like, look like me kind of and you want people yeah. in the ski industry that look like me so I want you to know like I have a lot of respect for you I always have that's kind of why I want to give you this platform and kind of like talk things out with you and like like I said I I've actually gotten a lot of shit already for having you on which is crazy yeah, to me I you up, um, it, but I also uh, have gotten a lot of a lot of commentary from people in ski media that have been like, I appreciate you for doing this. And like, this is the right conversation and the right place to have this conversation. So I hope they're right. And I hope this goes as well as we can make it go. Well, I think it should be pretty fun, man. And, and just to say it's, uh, well, I'm really humbled to hear you, you know, say that you looked up to me at any point. That's, that's probably the best thing about skiing is to be able to have any kind of influence over kids in, in the right direction. And, to have you know that that's really freaking cool dude to think somebody like me i'm nothing you know i'm just just a skier coming from new york and uh to have that kind of broadcast over over people is really cool um and and you said it's kind of a shitty reason to look up to me because i'm brown you're brown like nah it's not a shitty reason man we gotta like always be uh respectful of our roots you know you yeah. gotta respect everybody no matter what color but love them for being what they are you know it's it's cool that I'm darker and somebody else is darker and they can attach onto that. It's cool if there's a white guy and there's another, you know, white person who looks up to them. There, there should be no kind of um, 
step back from that kind of looking up to people. You yeah, know, it's, I, it's, I, it's a weird world we're living in now where we try to, you know, make it a, uh, such a separation, you know, it's actually more of a racism type of way to look at things. <laughs> That's what like, I mean, though. That's what I mean by saying it's shitty is like, I don't want that to be the only and I don't mean that as the only reason. But like when you're a kid, you're like, I want because in skiing, you know, this like there's not very many people that are like of a different race, of a different creed like that doesn't that doesn't happen all that much. So. That's kind of what I meant, which I think is a good reason. But like you said, like, I don't want to separate people into boxes. I think that part's really shitty. Yeah, I, I, I don't, man. I okay. don't, honestly. Good. I think I think it's cool. I think it's cool. You know, you should always, if somebody looks looks like you, it's it's cool to know that you, too, can right. go out there and, and make a presence, you know? You see somebody else make a path that way and, it's cool to have a couple more brown people in the sport, you know, and if there's a black guy in the sport, the other black kids are going to love them. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, it's right. just, um, it's just showing people what you can do. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so I want to kind of start off on a couple lighthearted things. I, I actually heard this story from quite a while ago and maybe you'll talk about it that you rolled up to your Under Armour meeting missing teeth and somebody at Under Armour bought you teeth because they were like, we can't have someone riding for us that doesn't have front teeth. So can you kind of tell that story a little bit and talk to me about that? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, uh, well, I, I was skiing Brighton. It was one of the first powder days of the year. It was a super late season. Uh, I think in maybe the end of December, we finally got a good snowfall. It's busy as all hell, but it was like the first legit powder day. So we're all stoked. My very first round with my little brother, I'm skiing down. I go off of a little, little roller, popping air, nothing big, nothing major. And uh, land, do a quick front flip right back up to the feet. But during the front flip, my ski actually went into my mouth. I overflexed my boot all the way. Then my ski went into my mouth. And it went perfectly behind my teeth, and it basically just, you know, flung them. It just loaded the ski up, and it flung the teeth out. Oh, my God. So, you know, yeah, right to my feet, skied away from it, but I felt all my teeth missing. The whole front row, uh, four teeth, ended up being gone, you know. I, I'm licking the top, and there. Well, that's going to suck, man. No insurance. Like, oh. It's going to be a rough one. You know, the first thought you should have is, oh, shit, my teeth, dude. I'm going to look horrible. To me, I was like, oh, shit, there goes all the money in my bank, man. Yeah, how you this gonna is going to be yeah, horrible, you know. Uh, and uh, what it ended up being was I, I lost two teeth here, and then the other two teeth, they broke at the gums. So the gums, the, the teeth got flung up way up here. They were basically just huge snaggle teeth sticking way out in the air straight out and i didn't know that until i got down to the uh ski patrol and i looked in the mirror and uh wow man i was haggard looking the first look i i, I literally i almost fainted man i was looking in the mirror just like oh my god i didn't even know this was possible you know like why didn't the things just fly away it would have been a lot easier than having my thumbs broken in two places and teeth sticking out oh, so uh yeah i went down to the hospital and in uh youth in salt lake city with my little brother and the whole time going down there's just like lines of cars you know it's such a busy day and people yeah. are all packing their skis out so we even have footage back then of 
me driving down and I'm barking at people and stuff and the, my mouth is full of blood. The teeth are hanging out, you know, people are looking and they do the double take. What the hell is that? It's a fantastic little video, man. And then, so I get down to Salt Lake City Hospital and it's a Sunday. Sunday in Salt Lake City is uh, kind of a dead day, eh? So they had to call in a cosmetic, like, cosmetic tooth yeah, person yeah. right and uh yeah it took a couple hours for them to come so i'm just sitting there with this oh my god like i'm solidifying themselves in the spot and they had to pull it back into place and that's when i actually felt pain you know the whole time going down it felt like nothing you know it's just maybe a little bit of shock and maybe a bit of it being so clean you don't feel it but when they pulled those teeth back into place, you can literally feel the bones just crunching. And then I got braces around there. I had a flight to Austria the next day. So I go to the, ho- I go to the airport after the hospital. My lips are huge, man. Just blown to balloon. <laughs> uh, my mouth is still so bloody. I'm wired up. And uh, I tell them, you know, look, I have a trip to Austria tomorrow. Is it possible to have it moved a couple of days? Um, they were so nice at this time. You know, they they moved the flight, no extra cost. I was able to probably because they saw how bad I looked. You yeah. had to feel a little better. <laughs> <laughs> so they, um, yeah, they ended up moving it. I took skied the rest of the season. I went to Austria with just my tooth, my tongue was cut in half. Oh my, my teeth were messed up. If I took another hit with my knee to the face, I just would have been not looking good at all it would have been a really really painful experience so i took it kind of easy out there but we had to film some stuff so we filmed it out there and just kind of took it easy and i skied the rest of the season and i was still missing one tooth and i had half the other tooth gone right so i looked good thing i had a girlfriend at that time no way i was seeing any women for a long time looking like that um yeah so i kept it going into the summertime one tooth my front teeth you know front yeah. tooth missing so it's complete like west virginia fucking hillbilly yeah you, you own style. a farm and shit yeah yeah yeah. Uh, yeah yeah i was looking pretty, pretty bad and we go to this fancy i mean to the guy who owns under armor the president yeah. of under armor we go to his ranch he invites over like football stars and NBA stars and all that stuff. Like there's some high class people over there. Everybody's dressed up all nice. And I show up, I got a missing grill. And on top of that, I started getting a tooth infection. So I was even, oh. you know, my lips were huge. Uh, my, my head hurt. You know, I wasn't feeling too good. So the um, co-founder of Under Armour, he's a super rad guy. Um, he, he just looked at me and he's like, dude, you can't, you can't have it like this, man. Like, you got to fix that. You can die from this tooth infection. Like, he was just apparently watching, like, some documentary of some people getting tooth infections and dying from it. So he was super worried about me. And amazingly enough, man, when I got back to Salt Lake, he gave me his credit card and told me, go to the best doctor, get it fixed, get new wow. teeth in. Start to look good again for us, you know? Holy and shit. And that was... Yeah, I can't say enough how much that helped me, man, because uh, it was not cheap. It was not cheap at all. 
I'm sure you got fucking pearly whites now. That's that's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. I love that. That's yeah. uh, that's. I don't think there's very many people who can say the co-founder of Under Armour bought them a fresh pair of teeth. You're probably the only one. So. Uh, yeah, I was lucky, man. He's a rad guy, and I can't be more thankful for running into a guy like that. You know. Yeah. Um, so on this topic, kind of let's, let's talk a little bit about like sponsorship, working with sponsors. Cause you made this post that I, last week that ended up getting deleted that I actually agreed with, um, where you're talking about like how these companies, as you were talking specifically about, I companies, but I think it applies to a lot of different kinds of companies as well. Take advantage of young athletes and they don't actually pay them what they're worth. And I've been kind of preaching this for a while now, like, it, skiers don't get paid enough. Like, I think that's abundantly clear. A lot of these companies are making money off of the image of the athlete and paying them next to nothing, if paying them at all, right? Like, so many kids are just hyped to get a pair of glasses or a bunch of glasses, and they don't realize that, like, that costs a company basically nothing, right? That co- that doesn't, that's yeah. not, that's not payment. And I always tell people, like, you're not sponsored unless somebody's paying you money, right? And And not just money, money that you can like actually take home at the end of the day and count it towards your job. Right. So kind of talk to me about how you feel about that and what your experience has been like, um, with sponsors. Cause I mean, obviously some of them are very good, like with Under Armour and all good things kind of come to an end, but talk to me about your experiences with sponsors and what that looks like. Yeah, it's, it's not easy. It's not easy, man. Uh, you know, everybody wants the life as a professional skier, right? It's super cool. You get to ski for a living. It's one of the most fantastic jobs you can imagine if you love to ski right for sure but um but they do use you they do abuse you and they take in these kids from you know and and like you said they just give them a pair of goggles and and tell them represent it and they post up everything on their instagram everything on their facebook whatever they use to promote themselves is constantly tagging that brand how much advertisement they get off of giving that person a goggle or paying them a tiny bit of money Meanwhile, they take models, they slap on a pair of goggles, sunglasses, whatever, and they pay them far more than what we are getting right. to ride on that product the entire year and to represent it the entire year to the niche that is buying those goggles, right? Yeah. So when, um, you know, with sponsors, it's, it's um, they undercut us. They know how easy it is to manipulate a young person or a person that, you know, is doing their passion and know how easy it is to slip them a couple bills and um, make it okay, especially when they all do. Um, so they get away with keeping their budget as low as possible and they get rewarded from that. You know, the people who are doing the budgeting are getting rewarded for saving the budget in certain areas and where they save it is typically with the team. If, Skiing went the correct route. Free skiing, if it stayed true to its roots and everything, we would have had our own companies. We would have had our own goggle companies, our own clothing companies, our own everything. And they would have been run by ex-pro skiers or people that are, you know, very keen on the whole uh, ski system. They would have known everything about what's going on. They would have been up to date with it. And they would have the... um, they would have, you know, the the drive to keep right. growing the sport. They have the same passion that any of us do. Exactly. Uh, we don't have that in skiing. You know, we have these huge conglomerate companies that are bought up by 
you know, plastic companies and yeah, yeah. whatever else, like massive conglomerates. They could care less about the person coming up. And then that's a damn shame in skiing. That's really, really a shame. So we see it over and over again where, you know, somebody can ride for a company for half of their career. They can devote everything to them. They can ride for them their whole career, devote everything to them. And the next year, you don't know if you're going to get a contract or not. Mm. You could have done everything right. You could have, you know, bent down on your knees and licked their boots. Yeah. And still, you don't know if they're going to come out and cut you the next year. So you're always living in like a sense of uncertainty right. about what's coming towards your way. Uh, and it's, it's, it's not good for the mind. It's, it's not um, a good way to ski. And uh, it's a very unfortunate reality of what goes on in the uh, professional skiing industry and in all industries at that, you know, a lot of the extreme sports in general, that's just been kind of hijacked and taken away from what they essentially were. And I think extreme sports in the beginning, it represented a counterculture, right? It was right. full counterculture. It was a way for these people to escape the route that is designed for them to go into right. and to go into a completely different thing and not care about that lawyer job or, you know, punching out numbers on a computer. And that had to be stopped. And I, I think they did a pretty damn good job of taking it over and stopping that counterculture movement yeah. with owning these businesses and making sure that we aren't driving in the way we are. And we see it today. You know, you just tell me already how many people are criticizing you over having me come up. Right. You know, why am I? Being, what What have I done that makes me into the enemy of the people? <laughs> you know, like, it's crazy. I, I, yeah. I, well, so... <laughs> I think one of the important things on this on this topic is like, it, yeah, these eyewear companies, we saw it with Tanner, with Seth, with the whole Oakley team for a while, right? And like all those dudes lost their sponsorships and like were Oakley branded people, right? Like, I mean, they were like, if you thought about those dudes at that time, you knew who the fuck their sponsors were because they were literally billboards for those companies at that time, right? And yeah. granted like the athletes use it for leverage in a lot of ways to get other sponsorships it makes them seem a little more mainstream that part's really cool and that's the effect that a bigger company has and right like with you with spy bigger company when you go and you send your information to another sponsor and you're like look this company sponsors me it does look good on paper right but the problem yeah. is you're right like these guys are not getting paid enough right for what they do and it's year to year to year right like i don't know how long tanner was on oakley but like to just drop somebody like fucking tanner hall is insane to me like for like no reason essentially like and that's what it seemed to the outside perspective who knows year to year these things like contracts should not be like that and it shouldn't be dependent on a team manager changing over right because that's what yeah, happens yeah, so much is like you, you build this relationship with a tm and then they leave and then everything you did yeah. is like thrown out the window for the next guy. It's like, you're not part of their plan anymore. Move on. And I think that part is fucked up, right? That part should be completely irrelevant. If you're worked into the program, unless you do something where it's like, okay, we don't align with this. We're getting out of this space. I'm not saying that brands have to hold on to the same athletes every single year forever, but it needs to be a, a actual conversation ahead of time. So you have the opportunity as an athlete to then go get a different sponsor and keep funding what you want to do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right, man. And, and speaking of people like Tanner, you know, with Oakley, 
I still remember the ad that he had with Oakley puppy jacket, white puppy yeah, jacket. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. He's over there, you know, repping these like absolutely bogus sunnies, <laughs> but he's doing it. And he's making them look cool, dude. Somehow he makes those things look cool. So he, when you think of Oakley in skiing, you do think of Santa. And for them to just shove that guy right out to the streets to find his own, his next thing. Yeah. But typically with short notice, that's a very heavy burden for for a skier to come upon and and speaking of tanner as well you know he he knew i was doing this podcast and he even mentioned to me like bro have me on that you know like <laughs> i want to put some work on it too because he loves what i was saying with the with the spy thing because there are many many skiers going through that right now legendary skiers who you would never imagine are having issues with their sponsors that they've been representing right. hard as hell they, they've you know dedicated during the, the past couple of years, the past couple of decades, whatever, to yeah. that sponsor. And they just get shoved off, you know? Even, like, people like uh, Kai, you know? Yeah. Kai is, like, having issues as well. And that dude's a freaking legend. He's man. one of the I'm best skiers of all time, yeah. When he's 13 years old, bro. He's yeah. one of the best skiers of all time. And that guy is still struggling to... Uh, get his balls in a line with, with the sponsors, you know? Yeah. With with them doing these shady things. And a lot of times, as you said, it's it's the transferring of a team manager. And um, typically these TMs that are coming into it now are not very ski-oriented people. They're just, yeah. you know, the money savers, dude. The guys who went to college for this kind of stuff. And I specifically you're talking about, right? What's that? In eyewear specifically, you're talking about, right? Uh, I'm talking all across the board, you know, all across the board with whatever company. It's typically the same, yeah. same reign of things. Yeah. Um, you know, with Spy, for me, I can speak on that. Spy changed over the TM multiple times while I was riding with Spy. The last guy was awesome. I had a super good relationship with him. I was going on tour stops throughout the whole season that, that took a lot of my season away that I could be at these other spots, but I, I like doing it because it was cool. You know, we go to these different mountains, meet these kids, these people that, that are stoked to see us. We ride with them. Had a good time doing it. Really nice time. That, that summer I went out to Alaska with them, like just fishing, you know, they filmed the whole thing. They took photos. I was up on a fishing billboard representing their sunglasses. So you think, you know, that they care about you that you, you have a foot in this door, that it's going to be all good. Well, that guy goes away from Spy. The next person comes in, and they get a new um, marketing person as well. And then it's, let's cut the team. Let's cut most of the team. Let's only keep the highlight guys. You know, like keep Tom Wallace. We just, they just put Tom Wallace on the team. Yeah. Nothing against Tom. This, this is no yeah, yeah, no, for whatsoever. Sure. Tom worked a lot, man. He's an amazing skier. But they... Um, yeah, they decided let's cut everybody else and just keep these very select people. And yeah, look what that does. Uh, that was in uh, November, December. Everybody else has their budgets already done. Everything's yeah. decided. You can't go to another sponsor. And now you got to make a living for the winter. And not only do you got to make a living, but you still have to ski for your other sponsors. Right. So it, it makes a pretty difficult situation, you know? Do you, you have to travel around still. You have to eat along the road. You have to um, dedicate your time into filming. And if you don't have a budget to be able to do this, you know, you're not feeling secure. 
And uh, security and skiing is going to drive you to be able to do better as well. Right? Keep going. Yeah, for sure. Do you, so do you find that there's value in having a manager, like a, an athlete manager, right? For somebody coming yeah. up, do you think that there's value in that? Because then they handle the part of, <laughs> of the business that is like not your job. And I tell people this all the time because I think it's valuable personally because you as the skier are already doing enough. You're doing your job, right? Which is skiing. Your job is not to be, your job is to be a marketer, a manager now, a contract writer, making sure all your contracts are all good and to be a super high level skier, right? That seems like too much shit for the amount of money that you guys are getting on a regular basis, right? So tell me your thoughts. Like, is a manager worthwhile to have in that sense? Yeah, 100% agent manager, really good to have. And uh, in the time I came up skiing when I first started, there wasn't such a thing as like a, agent taking care of people it wasn't going on at that time so i wasn't keen on that whole kind of situation and then by the time agents really started funneling into skiing i I guess i just never felt maybe my self-worth of a skier like i never saw myself as like being that grand to need an agent but i probably i could have used one i definitely could have used one because one of the hardest things to do is to show your worth to a company for sure to talk about yourself they like yeah i'm worth this much man give me 20 g's you know give me give me this dude because right. i can do this this, this. you got to have somebody else talking about that stuff for you especially yeah. when you're an inexperienced young person and you haven't seen the ropes yet it's very easy to take advantage of people so i highly recommend yeah anybody coming out these days find yourself an agent find yourself somebody that you trust and it's it's going to take you a long ways down yeah. the road um in the beginning, you know, it seems like, oh, well, I got to give this guy this percentage of money, blah, blah, blah. But right. you wouldn't make that money if you didn't have that guy, most and, likely. And, it, yeah, that money comes on. back for sure. Like, you make more money because of that dude like that or that girl. Like, they make that situation kind of happen, and they build relationships for you. And they hold on to those relationships for you, right? Like, they make sure that the constant contact kind of happens. Like, And, yeah, I said managers, but I, I'm talking about agents specifically. Like, that is like yeah. – that is somebody who needs uh, that situation needs to happen more and more. I think for, especially for the young athletes so that they don't get taken advantage of. And obviously there is situations where an agent takes advantage of the client, but I think that's so much more rare than like how often it works out well for somebody. Right. I I think so too. Plus, plus the agent can be nasty with the the sponsor, you know, they can say some mean shit and they get away with it. And it's not the athlete that has Yeah, if you say that shit, it's like axed right away. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, you're done, bro. Yeah, Yeah. don't talk to me like that. You are out of here. Yeah, what do you mean? But if you have an agent, you can slip in some kind of nastier stuff and be able to get away with it. And uh, yeah, it doesn't fall back on you. So for for sure, sure, 100%. If I was to do it again, I, I would change that. That would, there's two things that would change if, if I was to get back into everything and it would have been getting an agent and working out more. Okay. I think uh, in the times that I, you know, came up skiing, going to the gym and being in shape, you know, like doing your squats, going on those yeah, 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 yeah. weights. And yeah, do, on the Johnny Collins you know, program. So I was like at that time, you know, of extreme sports in general, that shit was whack, you know? You yeah. saw it as like, dude, that's so whack man this person posting up stuff in the gym like it's just a gym hog right like you only relied on your skiing to do to do the talking but um yeah in the last couple seasons that i skied 
I didn't hit a gym, but I definitely worked out a lot more and like did around the house kind of stuff that uh, really made me feel a lot stronger and benefited my skiing tremendously. And you can see the people coming out now, you know, they're hitting up the gym all the time and they're really strong. They're on their stuff and not getting injured with it as much. Although yeah. some of them do because they spend too much time maybe in the gym. Yeah. I think there's a good balance you got to have. Right. And, uh, that, that's, yeah, that's another thing that I think would have been beneficial. Uh, I, I agree. Get in and kids. Get yeah. both. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I had Steven Nyman, the ski racer on yesterday and he's like, uh, he's, I don't know if you know this dude, but he's fucking shredded. Like, I mean, he's like built like, like out of a sculpture and he's 40 years old and he's competing at the highest level, you know, like, it's like, that's part of what being an athlete is. And I think you're right for a long time, it was seen as like bro-y culture and not part of what skiing was right. It wasn't what like 10 years ago working out was not other than Simon, it seems like nobody was like really hitting the gym that hard 10 plus years ago. And now it's like, you see everybody actually starting to pay attention to their fitness. And I, I actually think that that, that makes a huge difference because it also shows that you're taking yourself seriously as an athlete, right? To people that are watching you on like, whether it's on social or like your sponsors or just in the gym in real life, I think it makes, it, it adds a sense of legitimacy as a, as an athlete, right? As a mainstream athlete. And not just as yeah. a skier. So, um, and there's a lot of yeah, yeah. Like, bringing up Tanner again. You know, the uh, Tanner's in the gym all the time now, and the dude shredded too. And he's he's coming on forty pretty soon, right? That's crazy. And the guys, if we're talking longevity, you're talking about this guy. He's forty years old. He's yeah. still shredded. The guy like Tanner, he's still doing it hard, man. He still goes out on the streets, dude. Yeah. What guy his age goes out on the streets and plays in the streets? Yeah. Like that's not easy on the body. And he's only doing it because he's hitting the gym. Shredded up, dude. Yeah. Keeps you going for sure. For sure. And it's just it was definitely like a naive way to look at things where we didn't want to see ourselves as the athletes. You know, the right. athlete word was like the A word, right? Yeah. <laughs> it was it was something you didn't want to use, you know, and you were saying what you did. You weren't like, yo, I'm an athlete. No, you were a skier. Right. You were a free skier. Right. So you were kind of this yeah, counterculture punk. And yeah. that was the lifestyle. And that's but, the era. But nowadays, the high level that we're at, I mean, you have to. Right. You posted something yesterday. It's like these fucking kids now are like throwing shit that like wouldn't have been thrown in our wildest dreams 10, 15 years ago. Like would not have happened. Like the progression of where skiing is at right now is so insane. And to your point, yeah, I mean, Tanner is still at the top of that heap, which is like beyond imagination that that dude can still be at the top after how long and how many injuries that that dude has gone through is so insane so yeah in career end of injuries they're not light injuries he's a runner man yeah he's he's the ringer yeah yeah he's got the handy tools he comes back that's that's amazing yeah and i don't think people pay enough respect to some of these legends that have gone through it you know a lot of young people growing up right now one of the most important things I believe is to know the sport you're in, right? Know the history of the sport you're in, pay attention to that history and worship the history of it because the history is what made it what it is today. For sure. You know, and, and people like Tanner, like how many times throughout the ages have we had just a full on new schoolers shit talking fest of yeah. forum pages going, you know, 16 forum pages, 50 comments on a page talking shit on Tanner or yeah. something. Bro, like, give some respect. Pay some respect, man. Yeah, for sure. 
for sure. And honestly, to yourself as well. Like, I think anybody that was in that time frame, like, you, people need to kind of put some respect on your guys' names for not just what you do currently. Like, it's, it's such a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately world right now. And people don't remember all the shit that you do do to get there. It's like, and I think everybody deals with it. That's just how we're programmed as humans. It feels like sometimes where it's like, you don't appreciate the past as much as you probably should. And I think that that, that becomes a big issue, especially in a sport that's as fresh as skiing. We're like, we're like every day, someone is building new history and it's, Mm. uh, it's just an insane place to kind of be in, in 2022. Well, you know, when we got the technology as well, we got Instagram with new clips up every day. The progression has just gone tenfold, right? You know, so you got to look at it with a lot of respect from the past. We didn't have all this stuff coming out constantly where we had something to build on, but we built those. I don't want to say we, as in me, I had guys that built the foundation before me and I respected that foundation they built. But me, myself, along with like people like Mike Hornbeck, Phil Cotterbone, like, kind of made a career out of going out in the streets and hitting the stuff. And there wasn't that many skiers at the time that could actually build a career on even that. So coming off of that kind of thing, like I don't think people recognize how hard it was to make it possible for other kids later on to be able to um, play in the streets and make some cash. But, uh, but still, I don't think those kids make enough money. You know, the, no, the guys going out yeah. in the streets, it it's insane, man. Like, some of those crews, dude, are just nuts. They're they're out of this world what they're doing over there, and they aren't getting paid a dime, you know. And that's the shame in, in skiing. Yeah. And I believe it all all kind of sure. yeah. rant and ramble on. I, I get all <laughs> up on the topic, dude. But it's I I think that's go. fine. Like you should. All right, bro. So so I I, I think it really took the turn when. Uh, and I'm going to sound like I'm feeding the fucking dead cat, right? But uh, <laughs> it, it, comes, it comes with the Olympics, bro. Like everything, when, when, we, when we introduced the Olympics and the free skiing, the free skiing had to, you know, button up, dude. People yeah. were like down their ties, you know? It, it changed the whole dynamics of who we were as free skiers. Right. But it also took away a lot of money away from the film companies who were going out and doing things, the film skiers who were going out doing this wild stuff. And it made these companies just want to invest their tokens into the next four-year Olympian. You know, who can we develop in four years to go into the Olympics? And then how much are those guys valued? Usually they're way overvalued for it because it's a huge platform. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's a huge platform, right? So they they get a lot of money going into those directions. And it just killed like the uh, core of free skiing. It killed the the film skiing stuff, and um, and and that's a shame because, like I said, these dudes going hard in the streets. They are throwing it all out there, man. And the beating you take on your body out there is enormous. Yeah. You're not falling on snow anymore. You're falling on concrete stairs, and you're hitting metal, and you know you're catching your knees underneath it, like LJ, bro, broken knee. Oh yeah, kneecap in the pieces, right? It's like just this um but the the money's been ciphered off in a different direction i'm not saying like everything's about the money because it isn't but for these for these young kids to see them going out going down that hard and pushing the progression of what actual free skiing is uh not get rewarded for it and be able to pay their bills off of it and be able to pay their health insurance most importantly off of it like that's a damn shame that's 
That's yeah. a bummer. Nobody should take advantage of the passion, right? Like, it's like, I bring up money a lot on this show, and we talk about money a lot on this show, and I think it's an important topic because, like, knowing what people make is is important. That conversation doesn't happen enough, and, and people are ready to kill me, I'm sure, for talking about this again, maybe, or they enjoy this topic, and we're totally fine. I have no idea. I don't even bother paying attention anymore. But it realistically you need to not be taken advantage of for the thing that you have so much passion for. And I think we as skiers across the board, whether you're a regular, like you just go skiing to go skiing or you're a professional athlete, you have so much passion for the thing that when it starts to become a job in any form, you're willing to take a pay cut because you love the thing so much. So I think people kind of need to understand that. I don't think any of us think it's about the money, but I think we don't want to be taken advantage of and, skiers in general like I said like for me I take a pay cut from a ski company as opposed to taking an outside like tech money like thing for this show right like and I will forever and I have no problem with that but at the same time like make sure you get paid make sure your ducks are in a row and I think that's what we can kind of leave people with this like on this topic is like make sure that you have your shit together and don't get taken advantage of that's the biggest thing I think to to kind of really hammer home that's it man know your self-worth and live up to it yeah right and talk to your peers find out like find out from your peers like have that conversation it shouldn't be like a taboo conversation to have like to be like yo what are you getting paid from this company like because you need to have that conversation in order to know where to even start what to ask for especially if you don't have an agent yeah for sure absolutely it's funny man i I got a monkey jumping around out here (laughs) he just knocked down huge ranch bro i'm like looking over here sorry to look away no no there's a monkey in the background that's that's the most yeah that's insane um we should talk about where you are why you are like where you're at like what what's going on why did you go to singapore why did you choose singapore beginning of the pandemic indonesia is the spot Oh yeah, sorry. I keep saying Singapore, and it's a hundred percent Indonesia, and I know this, but oh, like, it's Singapore. Singapore is uh, is pretty ritzy, ritzy yeah, living out there for right sure. Now. No, 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 yeah. In- Indonesia, and we're seeing monkeys roll around. Like that's that's amazing. Um, tell people why why you decided to go to Indonesia, why like why this was something that you felt like you had to do. So Indonesia, I, I started coming here maybe five years ago. Okay. And and I fell in love with surfing a little while back, you know. I, it's just so nice on the body. It's such a natural sport. We'll go into that later. But um, Indonesia, so it all started, <laughs> I was out in Austria, right, with my boy Tom, Tom Rich. He's the man. I was living with him in Austria. Um, so I'm at his house, and we're skiing, doing the damn thing. And uh, the whole Corona stuff started taking off, right? So people started getting all paranoid. Everything got crazy. We all know how that goes, right? So the I had to make the choice. They were closing down the ski mountain in Kitschenhorn right. in the middle of March, right? So now it's like, okay, where do I go? And I had a plane ticket booked back to America. So I get done skiing one of the days. And right as I come back, his girlfriend tells me that... Um, Listen, they're closing down the border of Germany to Austria tonight. Tonight's the only night that you can leave. I have a plane ticket in three days, two days. Right. So I have to jump on. Now I'm packing up everything, man. I've been living with Tom for three months, right? So I'm like, oh, shit, just got done skiing. Pack up everything. 
jump on this train, you know, and it was like racing against the storm, right? So always right behind you, going, going, going. Jump on the train. Everybody's like zombies, man. Everybody's scared of each other. And, and it's just the most paranoid, surreal, like horror movie kind of thing. You yeah. know, everybody on the train is like looking at each other and stay away. Somebody coughs. It's crazy. You know, looking at him like they're, they're diseased, like they got leprosy or something. Yeah. So jump on the train. I make it across the German border, get into a hotel. And then I look at the situation. And at that time, Trump said something about the uh, people from Europe not being able to come back to the U.S. They were putting a ban mm-hmm. on the travel from Europe. He wasn't exactly specific. He's not a he's, he's not, not a very specific guy. Specific yeah. Dude. Yeah. No, no, so it was a pretty broad, you know, broad statement there. Um, but along with that, on the news, I was seeing the lines for outrageous come back to the states you know all the people held up at the customs and all this right. it's just hour-long lines everybody around and i just told myself dude i'm going with my first instinct i told myself maybe i just go to bali and um i went back to that and i just switched the ticket over and yeah made it to bali but the trip out to bali was crazy man so i i get on the first plane from Germany to Athens, Greece. For my next plane, they wouldn't allow anybody that came from Germany because Germany was oh one of the hotspots. Yeah, yeah. Nobody that came from Germany was allowed to fly into Singapore. So now I have to stay in the airport for an extra 12 hours, sleep on the floor. I'm pretty used to it, man. Yeah, yeah. Bag out or wake up in the morning, back hurting, have to find another flight. And uh, so I made all these like little receipts now like i've been chilling in Athens, Greece, so i got like all these <laughs> fake little invoices from greek uh <laughs> resorts and all this right and i'm flying with my skis everything out to bali um so i got this all made up and then i take my next flight into istanbul and the the lady at the counter man she did not want me by i mean things were changing every hour yeah right? yeah it was and insane at this time it was nuts to fly around and it was the epitome of a storm chasing you know you really every hour that ticked by something new was happening you had to jump on your toes and run away from that tornado so after like an hour of telling this lady look i looked at everything i'm allowed to go over here it's all good i finally made it over and then i finally touched ground in indonesia and until then you know the anxiety was high, bro. You're just worrying about, are they going to reject you? Are they not? Are you going to come in? Are you not? And luckily, I got in when I did. It was about two weeks later that they shut it down entirely, that nobody can come to Indonesia. Yeah. So I got out there, and yeah, I chilled out there, man. And I, it, was, it was weird. It was still March going into April. I wasn't skiing for the first time, you know, unless I had an injury. The first time I wasn't skiing at that time, but yeah. I was able to go out surfing, so just hanging out on a beach, surfing. I ended up in this uh, small town out there called Balian. It's a nice wave out front. It's a small little town. And luckily, I got into there in time. They shut down the town, so anybody that was there could stay there. Nobody else could come in. So for two months, it was completely closed down. We had these waves to ourselves. There was maybe 10 people out in the water every day. I mean, it was just like surreal amazing <laughs> it was super cool 
and at the same time, I'm watching what's going on in the world, you know, what all these different countries are doing. And um, yeah, I stuck around there, traveled all around there. Hardly had to wear a face mask, you know. It was it was uh, it was good, and we kept it going um, up until January the next year. And mind you, this whole time I'm feeling I'm free, bro. Yeah, like I'm living. I moved to Sambalwa, so I'm living off on a small island, a couple islands away from Bali, chilling out. I'm surfing every day. I'm not wearing a mask. I'm hanging out with everybody, dude. We're having bonfires. We're living a normal life, going out fishing, just living. And yeah. you look back home and you got all this crap going on 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 the media, you know, they're showing up all this stuff, these death counts, this, you know, all this stuff. And you know, I don't mean to sound I, I have sympathy for people that suffered through right. this, um, that had an issue and people did die, of course, you know. Right. Um but when I lived in a place where I was around people and we didn't have any issues and we had freedom. You know, I was able to do what I wanted to do. When I got back to Europe, I saw what it was like. You know, the cafes were all closed down, dude. You had to yeah. take, get a coffee. You can't drink it inside because of science. You know, there's science. Like, you can't drink a coffee inside, but you can go inside and buy a coffee. Yeah. It was just junk. Yeah. It was crazy to me. So when you come from a place that feels free and you yeah. go back to a place that's so regulated, tell me you want to live there. You know, you want to be a part of that. And you see on the news every single day while people are struggling and striving to fucking make a buck, man, they're getting fired from their jobs because the jobs can't even work. Right. You know, places like California were banning every people to come in and, and, uh, and run their restaurants. Like they couldn't run restaurants. They couldn't run gyms. Right. Like you're making an unhealthy set of people with a lot of mental issues. Yeah. yeah I didn't want to be a part of it. Anymore. So um, after I got done with that season, I can only stay three months in Europe. I would have stayed longer, but three months is all I could stay. I didn't want to go back to the States. So went back to Indo. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I just decided after a while, you know, it's, it's going to kick you here. Keep kicking it. Yeah. I feel free. I feel, you know, there's a lot to say about being self-sufficient. And over here, I'm able to be self-sufficient, right? I have a garden. I have uh I can go fishing out front, bro. I can get my own food. I can surf every day. I don't have to put a mask over my face and breathe in those germs, you know? Yeah. Like, pretty, pretty, uh, pretty, like, you got to be dumb to leave here. I feel like, man. Yeah. It's, it's uh, a I lot can, different. And then we see, yep. I, I can see, I can see that perspective for sure. And I think that this will kind of give people a little bit of clarity too on like why your perspective is what it is. Because like, if you're living in a place like that, and, and honestly, I think the, one of the biggest issues with the whole pandemic is the way that it was handled in the beginning, right? It kind of, it created a level of distrust for what was going on. And I think, I I don't know, I have no interest in blaming anybody because I, I have no idea. I can tell you firsthand, like we started this conversation by, I was telling you what an idiot I am when it comes to technology and all this stuff. Like I have no clue how to run a computer, never mind, like, tell you where stuff comes from and, like, information and why it's the way it is. But I I do agree that, like, in the beginning, it was like, oh, okay, masks are super effective, then they're not effective, then they are the most effective. And, like, because of the administration that was in place, 
And because the scientist or the doctor that was in place did not see eye to eye, you have these conflicting opinions. And I think it creates a level of distrust for what's going on. And that part I, I completely understand. And yeah, I think that that builds distrust, especially for people that are living in other countries and they're seemingly okay. The, I guess the, the issue that I have with some of the stuff that you post in particular is like, uh, I, I worry that you like are going to affect some kid in a negative light. And I know that's not your goal. And I know you're just like putting out how your perspective is. I, I guess I just worry because I know people that have died from Corona. Right. And I had, I had COVID last week and I was fucking wrecked. Like, and I had COVID yeah. 90 days ago and I was like, totally fine. Go ahead. Go ahead. Can I ask you what, what, what you did for it? What kind of like, um, how you treated yourself? I, I took like vitamin C. Um, I took a shit ton of like zinc and I did a bunch of the extra shit that you're supposed to do. Like, but I also like, I'm vaccinated. Like I don't have a problem with vaccinations because I have been vaccinated as a kid. I still, I still got it, but I will say I know somebody who is super against, like personally know this person who was super against getting the vaccine, got COVID died. I don't think there's a direct connection for everybody. But, like, this shit is fucking weird, and I can tell you, as somebody who got it a few months ago and was, like, totally fine, right? Like, right after I got, like, booster or whatever, I was like, okay, this shit probably works. Now I'm like, okay, the effects wear off, and that's part of what they say is, like, all right, the effects of the vaccine wear off. You're going to have to do it all the time. That seems super fucking annoying to me. That's what they say afterwards. That's what they say afterwards. Exactly, right. Right. And and they proved it, right, with their signs. So what what – the what I say, I, I understand where people think that, um, yeah, maybe I'm misguiding people, but truly, where we've been misguided is people like Anthony Fauci up there. And, uh, you know, you say the past administration, yeah, I mean, they, they didn't see eye to eye, but Anthony Fauci is a game player. Yeah. The guy's been in charge of, you know, he took control of the NIH in um, the 1980s. Then you get the AIDS pandemic. He was putting out AZT to people during the AIDS pandemic. AZT is a highly toxic, basically a radiation for the soul. Like it, it completely depletes people. And, and the way he tested it was fraudulent. Everything about the testing they did was fraudulent. He led to so many people's deaths, and you can look it up using AZT. So this toxin was made for, for cancer, I believe, in the beginning. And then they just used it for for people with AIDS, right? So this guy gives a knowingly toxic thing that was not approved for cancer, and they dish it over to another side of things. He also makes a ton of money off of all the patents that come through NIH. What a lot of people don't understand is NIH uses the tax dollars to develop different technologies and develop different vaccines, and then they sell it off to um, pharmaceutical companies. And in the end, what they do is they, they get royalties on all the vaccines that are sold. So he's making stacks off of all these different patents that are done in their laboratories with our tax dollars. Right. And what do you think they want to do? They want to make sure that those vaccines are able to be used. So they fast track it through everything without mm-hmm. the proper trial, um, the proper trials being done. And with AZT, for example, they did it where they test the placebo against other highly, the placebo was un, another highly toxic um, 
drug. So it wasn't a placebo. It wasn't an inert placebo. So what they did was they, they drugged people on both sides and people died on both sides. You know, and then they say, oh, well, this side, that side died slightly slower. And they ended, the, they ended the trials before the end of the time because people were dying so quickly. So they ended them early. They passed it through FDA because it's all connected. And they allow these, these things to go on in the market. And then it just continued on and on. And if you're familiar, like the, there's the, uh, let me see what it's called real quick. The act in uh, 1986, the, sorry to get into all this. I opened, I opened the can of worms. I'm willing to have the conversation. Yes. Um, But, you know, I, I, I don't just, People dismiss me off because they say you just ski or whatever, but bro, skiing is not my identity. That's not who I am. It's, it's not I mean, everything. I, I ski. I, I ski well, right? You know, I did that thing. But I'm also a person who likes to dive into things, likes to read books. You know, I try to read a book at least, at least one book every month, usually two. Um, so I'm not like an uneducated fool. I, I definitely spend my time looking into things. And a lot of people, I know I've lost a lot of friends during this time because they like to think that I'm just looking at fucking Facebook bullshit, you know, and that's not the case at all. I, I'm looking far deeper into the stuff that people aren't being told right now. Yeah, um, I think there was, we should we should pause before we like keep going on this before it gets like too much into like stuff that people can't digest. But like, so I, yeah, they won't like it. I, uh, but there's a vaccine injury for. I just wanted to end it with do, the yeah, yeah. 1986 uh, for the vaccine vaccine injuries and the taking away a liability from vaccine manufacturers for any of the devastating effects that some of them cause. And while we are fed to believe that vaccines have cured this and cured that, the truth was a lot of those diseases that they were told that were curing were actually on the downfall at that time anyway, because of higher sanitation levels, better drinking water, better Mm -hmm. air quality, better everything, you know? And they were coming down well before vaccines were introduced. So we're under this geist that like vaccines have saved us. Vaccines have gotten rid of all these things. But it's just simply, it's it's not the whole truth. And there's a lot of scammy shit that goes on. And the last thing I'll say to, to do this is if you know about what they do in Africa, like Bill Gates Foundation, what they do in Africa is they use, they use these people as a trial, like a human guinea pig. Yeah to push their drugs over there because it's far cheaper and they get away without pushing them through the proper regulations. They're able to do trials that are not overseen and uh, far cheaper and use these people as, yeah, like I said, guinea pigs, man. And I, they end up with very devastating effects and it's happened time and time again with multiple vaccines that they've introduced, whether it's malaria or uh DTP was the highly toxic one that they dumped over there. It's just, if you start looking, if you start looking deeper than what you presented, you'll, you'll find a lot of knowledge that's hidden for sure. For yeah, sure. But I, you have to look for it. I agree with you in a, in a lot of what you said, like I think a healthy distrust of the government and uh, some to some level science because it's constantly changing is is okay. Like, I don't have a problem with anybody speaking their mind, I guess. And I have no problem with like how it impacts you. My biggest issue with COVID, I guess, is because it impacts other people. And my biggest, like when the vaccine came out, I was like, okay, 
this is sketchy because we all know, like it came out very fast, right? Like it was like too fast. And I agree with a lot of what you said about like, okay, Fauci makes extra money. These corporations, I I will tell you personally, when I was like, oh, Pfizer's making a vaccine, I'm going to buy Pfizer stock. Like that's how people's brains work, right? So like, that's how a lot of people think about things. And I think that that part is shitty, but I also worry about the effect that it could have on somebody older, right? Because I, somebody older, somebody with a weaker immune system, my biggest issue in the States is that everybody is so congested that you have this ability, me as a, as a, just somebody who's like, all right, I'm healthy enough. I'll be okay. If I get COVID, I'm not too worried about it. My biggest issue is that I could affect somebody else negatively. Right. And it's that thought of like, okay, I can, I can actually hurt somebody else that I have no connection to for no reason other than I'm not taking the steps. So like I said, my biggest thing is that I'm an idiot and I don't know one way or the other. So I have no choice but to be like, okay, I want to care about other people. So this is what they're saying I have to do. And this is what enough people have done and said that like, I will be able to help prevent these kind of things. I need to do it right for my own moral compass. Like that's what I need to do. And that's how I felt about it. Cause to like, to me, I don't really give a fuck. Like to me, an extra shot is really like, I'm annoyed that I have to go get it. And like, it seems dumb and like you get sick for a couple days and then like you feel better. I have, I, I guess my worry for you is that like you have the opportunity here to kind of be an optimist for this situation. And I don't know that you, like you seem angry online. And I guess I'm just telling you my perspective from the outside is like, you seem angry and I worry about you going down a path of like, okay, everything's bad, right? You end up in this echo chamber where you're like, you only get a perspective that feeds into the perspective that you already have. And that's my concern because like, I think about like a Nicholas Mueller who I have his fucking snowboard behind me, by the way. Like, I don't want to see you go down that path where like, everybody's like, we need to disassociate from Ahmet because this is how he views the world. And I, I think that's shitty, but I also, I worry about the impact that you could potentially have on people beyond that because you have that reach because you have influence as an athlete right yeah yeah but that's you know that's fine with me man if if people want to see something this way like it's whatever but um once we start silencing people because we don't like their what they've brought up you know i'm bringing up facts when i when i post things and i'm not angry I, I am angry, you know. I, I don't like coffee. I, I don't like Joe Gates. I don't like the system of things in place that allow this kind of travesty to happen, where we're injecting, you know, five-year-old kids and, and yeah. younger with with an unknown toxic fucking vaccine that is actually contributing to a lot of myocarditis and a, a ton of athletes having sudden collapses. You know, I mean, we are having a ton of it. It is on the rise. There's a forty percent increase of um, of deaths, the insurance companies are saying a 40% increase from 15 to 64 year old deaths, right? So we we are having something that is unprecedented in our time that's happening. So I am angry against a system that is failed. It's a fallacy. Everything about the system is about how to make more money. And you got people like Nancy Pelosi up top that is banking in all that money, bro. She's insider trading everything. So of course they want to keep this stuff going. And the truth is, you know, when Vax, when the Pfizer uh, released this data that they wanted to withhold for 75 years, 
it finally comes to light, we get to see it. There are a lot of deaths associated with that vaccine. It might not, it's not everybody. I'm not saying it's everybody, yeah. but there are a lot of deaths that are associated and a lot of deaths that wouldn't have to be, wouldn't, they wouldn't have had to die, man. People that would not have died from COVID have now experienced myocarditis. And I actually have one of my best friends I grew up with who was completely against the whole vaccination program and he took it and he says his, his heart's fucked up. It's never been the same like it. Yeah, you know, for months now, doesn't feel right. Doesn't want to go to a doctor because he knows what's going to tell him. Yeah, and uh, it's the same. One of the most athletic guys I know, and it, it seems to be hitting a lot of athletic people that want to have an issue with with catching COVID. And my my whole um, where I have a lot of spite in this whole thing is that we've been we've been lied to a lot about the numbers with using PCR tests, and anybody who gets familiar with the PCR test. Uh, protocol. They used uh, 45 cycles to determine if somebody had COVID and it's far, it just magnifies it. So it doesn't measure the quantitative, it measures the qualitative. So it, it can tell you that that RNA is actually in your bloodstream, but we have a fucking, we have a shit ton of viruses in our bloodstream at all times, you yeah. know, in our bodies at all times, right? We have a ton, man. I'm no scientist, so I'm not going to get all crazy <laughs> on it, but I guess that's part of my worry though, is like, you're, you're not, I'm not. And like, that's, we have influence, right? How many are paid to feel this way, to to say, to go go along? And then how many have been silenced for speaking out against it? When you have people that are silenced, that are well-qualified scientists, independent ones that have been completely silenced. And then we get these, these uh, conspiracy theories that, that have come out that have been fact-checked and disproven, and then they come out to be the reality of things later on. That's a problem. When when they have been censored for months and months and months on end, how many people have suffered because of that silence? You know, when you're able to be like these, you know, the massive media platforms and just completely eradicate anybody who is in opposition of something, this isn't science anymore. Like science is a constant battle to, to argue a point, to make a point clear, to prove it beyond doubt that something's going to work. And my, my gripe with science, how we use it in the terms we do today, is people say it's science, and they just leave it at that. They don't understand what science is. And what we've come to in this day and age is we have biolabs all over the world, and they produce these, these um, diseases that we would probably not see within our lifetimes, but they produce it inside of these laboratories. So we're basically playing like science is, is the ability to create destructive forces in order to save ourselves from them. But I, I feel like the real meaning of science, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I this is what I believe with it, is that science is the studying to the studying of the environment around us and how things work and to be able to understand how things around us work. You know, I don't know if you've ever read the book Frankenstein, but um, in Frankenstein, he was an absolute genius. He created Frankenstein. Uh, he wanted to put human consciousness into a dead dead being, right? So he creates this monstrosity, and it ends up killing all the people he loves. So throughout the whole book, he's looking at rivers, he's looking at the beauty of the mountains, the glacier scene, and he's seeing the beauty that's around him. And that to him is like what, what science is and trying to understand this stuff. 
Meanwhile, the creation that he made through a different type of science mm -hmm. has completely obliterated his life in a way. You know, it killed all these different people and it turned into a monstrosity that he couldn't handle. And that's how I feel we are going with Western society today is we're trying to develop more and more, create more and more things because we're so scientifically evolved that some of these things are the death of us. I mean, the creation of the nuclear bomb, bro. Like we have, we can have the goods out of it, you know, <laughs> nuclear power and to have a great thing going on, or we can have the destruction of the whole world in just a thing like that. Right. Yeah. So, I, so let me, well, again, like let's, <laughs> let's take this bit by yeah, bit here because right. I think it's, I don't want it to be too, oh, like, right. I get it, but I, I guess yeah. where, where I'm at with this and where I want people to like, understand, like, understand is like everybody should be allowed to voice their opinion my I think that that part is okay I don't have an issue like for me if you personally don't want to have the like you don't want to take the vaccine you don't want to do this you don't believe in this I'm I'm okay with that like I actually don't have a huge issue like I'm not I'm not going to be like the one to shove it down your throat and be like, here, stick this needle. Like I'm not administering it. I don't give a fuck. Everybody should get like, do what they think is best for them. At the same time, my, my hope is that everybody doesn't like look at this whole situation and go and look at what you're posting and take only the negative about it. I think that there's value in looking at multiple sides of things. And I think it's worth acknowledging like, yes, Fauci's making money. Pelosi's making money. This is not my area of expertise. And honestly, like, I don't watch the news because both of like all major news platforms to me are fucking horseshit. Like yeah, it doesn't, people, bro. it doesn't, full yeah, company. it's full of comp. I agree in that sense. And again, like Pelosi and fucking Fauci are making money. Like, this is how I feel. I'm not surprised, motherfucker. Fucking fine. All right. Yeah. Like I, that's absolutely fine. But everybody's making money off something. We live in this, like if they have to make money in order for like everybody to kind of fix the problem that we're in, I'm, I'm like, that's the lesser of two evils for me because I don't want to see people die. I don't want to see people get sick. I don't want to see people get hurt. And I think where you're at is, is in the same position. It's just, you have a different approach to the way that you're, you're doing it. And that's, I guess, where I, where I worry about you and your like career, I guess. Right. Like that's, that's kind of yeah, what I wanted to talk to you, but I, I know, no, I know you're not worried, but like, I look at it from the outside and I'm like, all right, like you have an opportunity here to approach this. Like, uh, first of all, like, I guess there's, there's a lot of things that kind of go into this, right? Uh, for example, Kyrie Irving, not being able to play basketball, but sit on the fucking sideline is insane to me. Like these kind of things are insane. I think when you live on the fringe too much, like on the far outsides, it ends up being it sounding insane and being insane, whether it's like on the side of like science is law, like this is the thing that we have to do. And if you're doing it not that way, you're a fucking idiot. I think keeping some some level of open mindedness on that side is great. And I also think that like being aware that like something that got tested in 1986 is not necessarily the best source for everything because it's 1986. I wasn't even born in fucking night. I don't know what the fuck happened. I was born in 95. Like at that time, like. In 95, I thought if I put peanut butter on my fucking TV screen, it would fix all the scratches in the TV screen. Like, this is like, I I was not in this, like, this kind of stuff. They That's what they told you. They were like, oh, your CDs, they, they get fixed if you put the fucking, <laughs> like, that's not a thing. There's a lot of things, I think, that happened then that are no longer true. So I guess I, I yeah. just worry about 
the le- and I've said worry 40 times and like, I swear I'm not a super worryful <laughs> person, but like, my only thought is like, I read this article from you in men's journal from 10 years ago and maybe 12 years ago at this point, you talk about being an optimist and you talk about like trying to look at the best and trying to look at like the future generation and being like, I really care about these people. And I guess I just worry that like some kid is going to see this and think, okay, everything that the world says and the government says, everything is bullshit. And I think some of it's bullshit, but I don't think everything's bullshit. I, again, like this is where I think we disagree because like I'm somewhere in the middle. Right. And I think that's why like I'm an okay person to have this conversation because I sit in this middle area pretty often. Right. And that's why, like, I don't want, I I didn't want this to be like a gotcha piece. Right. Like, I think there's a lot of people that could kind of do an interview like this and would be like, look, I brought you on to be like, I disagree with you. I don't disagree with everything that you're saying. And I don't disagree with everything that you post necessarily. I just think that like, there's some things that are dangerous and I, I like, I don't want people to think that you're nuts. And I know you don't give a fuck what people think about you, but I think it is important. Like in 10 years, you might give a fuck. Because like I just did, like I pulled up an article, I I pulled up an article from 10, 12 years ago and I'm like, okay, this is how he felt at this time. And I guess like that's, that's where my level of concern comes from. And that's why I wanted to talk to you about this, you know? I understand, bro. And uh, I I do like to see myself as an optimist, even though we're, we're going through a lot of things at this moment, you know? But uh, I, I, I understand what you're saying, but the dangerous thing, I believe, is is people not getting both sides of the information. And we're suppressed from a lot of the other side, you know, from a lot of dangers. This is the danger, man. Like, there are so many issues that are becoming connected with some of this um, rhetoric that's going on. You know, like, we have enough, a government that's able to, you know, in Canada, they shut people's bank accounts down because they didn't agree with the government. This has only come to fruition fruition since the pandemic, where these governments have been able to obtain so much power, right? You know, they've been able to achieve their heights because people are scared of everything. Yeah. And living in fear, there's there's this fantastic, I don't know if you've ever seen the uh, after school talks on YouTube. I've have seen you, some. Have you watched some of that book? Yeah, I've seen a couple of them. They have a fantastic one that just came out. It, it's called, um, hmm. Fear is, uh, it's um, an obsession with safety leads to a life of mental illness. Mm. So what I'm fearful of, <laughs> to say fear again. You know, like, <laughs> how, how, fear how, and how, worry, how, like that's going to be the title of this fucking episode is like fear it's, and worry. It's a, mental, it's a mental illness, man. And we've come to the point in society where everybody's so scared, man. They're scared of each other. They're scared of protecting each other. You know, like I, I'd be scared too to go to my my mom's after um, all this stuff was going on. If I was in the states and seeing all that, yeah, I'd be scared to go here because she's sick. You know, she's got problems too. So it, it's not that nice. But with this, we lose like what humanity is, and and fear never makes a great human. You know, if 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 the human is driven by fear, there's no accomplishments he makes. If he's driven by bravery and going out and doing things and, and stepping into a danger zone, he's going to accomplish something. And if we can look at anybody who's great throughout fucking history, 
the great people have always stepped out of the realm, you know, the realm into danger, mm. the realm of safety they've left behind. And they've stepped into a realm that's unknown and they've accomplished something different. And not everybody can do it because if they let fear drive them, they're too scared to step out of that realm, man. It's an easy realm to be in. It's an easy little box if you want to live in a safety box. But when you step outside of there, then you live in life. And I, you, you say like uh, you're afraid a kid's gonna look at my stuff and right. you know get a, a a bad thing out of it. But how I see it is, I hope kids look at it and they look at it a little bit deeper and they spend some time and research some of the stuff I'm saying because I'm not saying anything that's like a conspiracy. You can look it all up. I'm connecting articles with it, you know, and just spend some time and look from the other side because we're not presented it daily, you know. We're not given that daily dose of like the fucking red pill, dude. We're we're given something that we're supposed to abide by because it makes it makes it easier it's for path of least resistance for a lot of this stuff. Right. Like, I mean, path of least resistance is what a lot of people take. And I think I think that that's that is valid. I, I guess where I where I differ is like, I feel like you lean a little f- and I, I'm not the left and right thing drives me insane. But like, I, I think sometimes you're leaning a little far into the realm of like, they're giving us no information and versus like, they're giving a versus some people think like, we have all the information from everything from Twitter, from the new, like, I, I just think that a balance of these things is really important. And it's, it's hard to find that balance. And I guess that's in, again, when I messaged you, we talked about this is like, it's okay to disagree. I think that's another thing that kind of gets lost, right? Like we don't have to agree on everything. Like, and we can still have a normal conversation about like, this is how we feel about these topics. Again, like for me, I'm living in the States. Most of your audience is in the States. That's where I get the, the biggest sense of like, okay, this could be somewhat problematic. And I think the the life that we've kind of set up for ourselves on the internet is not real life. Like in, people kind of need to understand that like most of what they see on a day-to-day basis on the internet, whether it's social media, whether it's Twitter, whether it's some shit, like somebody can just post wherever the fuck they want. Like a lot of it is just like, it is just what people want to put out into the world, right? And we see that every day with social media. It's like you very seldom see somebody go out of their way to post something that's like genuine, like they're struggling, for example, right? Like their mental health is yeah. weak right now and they're not doing okay. And I think that's starting to get normalized a little bit more. And I'm glad that that part of it is kind of happening, but a lot of the stuff that's on online is like, it separates us further and further from each other when I wish that it would kind of bring people together more And I wish it would bring a sense of like, all right, like we can be a little different and we can have differing viewpoints and things are going to be okay. Versus like, I just like pulled up a new schoolers thread while I was doing fucking some looking into like what we would have conversation about. There's a new schoolers thread that like thinks you're fucking completely insane. And I don't think, I don't think that you're insane. I think that like you have a perspective and that's your perspective. But I think the one thing that I will ask, and again, you don't have to fucking do anything I ask. I'm a fucking hole in the wall for what like actually matters in the real world. The only thing that I would ask is be like more often be like, this is how I feel. This is my, like, this is my perspective. This is like, and own that part of it more. Right. Because I think when you present stuff, that's really important. And that's like, I, 
I always, and again, I'm an idiot. I'm wrong. I'm like about a lot of things often. That's totally fine. Like the amount of things that I'm wrong about a day, I don't even think I could count. But I always say it's me, right? This is my, this is where I'm at. And I don't think anybody should ever be like silenced for that reason. I don't, I think that part of it's really, really dumb. But I guess I just, I don't know. That's what I would ask. That's what I think like can change because I don't want to tell you like, don't say what you want to like, say whatever the fuck you want to say. The thing that matters is like, all right, like people need to know that this is how you feel. Right. And just because you feel one way or the other, it doesn't mean that it's law. And cause then we drift into the same territory that you're worried about. where like, everybody now thinks Ahmet knows Ahmet's putting this information out there. This is the law now because he found information that somebody's, you know, hiding or whatever, keeping from, that's where my concern is, I guess. Yeah. And you know, a lot of the posts I make is just a simple article or something that's going on. And then I put a link to it, whatever. Right. And I've thought about, you know, going on and talking on the phone in front of the phone and say, you know, (laughs) kind of clarify and, and give people the reality of like myself with it, that I'm not like, because you can take it in so many different ways. If it's just an image, right? Right. If it's just a poster, you can see it in so many different ways. And what would probably be better is if I clarified it with showing myself and talking about it. The problem is, I kind of, I feel like I suck at talking, you know. So if I put that in front, dude, I well, do it. You like don't. You're good, like, you're good at it. You're good. You're good at it. You're doing a good job. Like I, I think. Like fuck, I don't know, dude. I look like. No, I, I think that this will actually help. I think that this will actually help give some perspective to where you're at. And I, I don't want to like, Ethan's got to go in like 20 minutes. So I want to like, there's a couple more things I want to touch on. So like, I don't want to like hold him up, but I, I want to say this, like both of us have opinions. I think that's great. I respect the shit out of you. I think that it's like, you say what you want to say. My only ask, I guess, is like, just think about perspective for everybody because like, as you know, it upsets some people and I don't really give a fuck about upsetting people. It's just like if somebody knows somebody who's died from COVID or from Ukraine, like, and like, I know people that are here as people who are refugees, like personally, like I've helped them. Like I know them, like I I know them like close, like these are not people. So I guess those people read that kind of thing. And then they're like, fuck this. Like this is bullshit. And I guess that's where my concern is, is not, it's a level of empathy. I think that I'm trying to look at as opposed to being like the world is shitty. Cause I think that part is true. We know the world, the world sucks in a lot of ways, man. Like the the people, the people that make it shitty. That's, that's what I mean. That's what I mean. Um, world, dude. And that's why I live out here, bro. It's like, yeah, you've got your oasis. I don't have too much control and it doesn't push me away, but yeah, I, I feel you with some of that stuff, but I, I also, I, I feel like people take me in such black and white, you know, it's either this way or that way. As we said earlier, we're right. such, we're pushing two different paradigms. And um, the problem is, you know, if I post up something like, look at what's happening in Ukraine and let's, let's, let's look at the history of it. You know, let's look at the things that are behind what's going on in Ukraine. It's always oh, stands for Russia. He's a fucking Putin apologist, which I'm far, far, far from. And my family history is like Crimean, bro. Right. They got taken over by Russians and right. genocide over there. Horrible <laughs> genocide. You know, family members sent to the gulags. Other family members died. My uh, grandpa and my 
great uncle. They both fought in the war, you know, as freedom fighters against the Russians. So I, I have absolutely no, you know, tie to Russia and what I post. <laughs> but we have to not look at just one side of the things. And I feel so much sympathy for the Ukrainian citizens that have to go through this stuff at this moment. I mean, they, they're the it's said that these are the people paying the price for corrupt governments. I agree. Whether I it be the Russian government that's or an the Ukrainian point. government. And this is what we have to understand is when you're only getting media from one side and you're listening to what's being said and it goes on Instagram and the media platforms censor every other side to it. So you can only see this one thing. Please believe me that one thing you're believing is not the entire truth. And what I, what I seek to like get people to do is, is, Root out the truth. Try to look into it a little bit deeper and not just go with your your first instincts because that's how they control you is by using emotions to push you into their direction because it's horrible when you see some of the stuff going on. But in the beginning, videos being shown, there were so many inauthentic videos that were shown to display the horrors of what Russia is doing. Mm. They were using past videos from you know, years and years ago, they were using videos from Gaza's script. They were using lies like the Snake Island that, that you know, Ukraine told them to fuck off on, on Snake Island and Russia just bombed them with their boats and destroyed the whole island. No, it was a lie, man. They all stepped off. The Ukrainian forces that were on Snake Island, they stepped off on the soil uh, back on the mainland and they were fine. So right. we have to be careful when we're, when we're looking at these things that we're presented with because not everything... Everything's meant to trigger an emotion and you stick by that emotion. And if you saw some of that stuff that was said in the beginning, you will stick by that thought. You, you won't realize that, no, that was actually wrong. Like that, that wasn't happening. You still will tend to side with one of the things that you saw in the first place. So again, I guess what I'm, what I'm getting to is um, I just want people to look at things more objectively, you know, to see I think that's what's going point. on, you know, the past with NATO in, in Ukraine and, uh, you know, the Western nations saying that they would not move NATO eastward, yet they are. And they do have laboratories over there where they are studying stuff. And that's up for debate what they're studying. But anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, <laughs> I, I understand it. But I also have friends that, that completely, you know, I want to call them friends, man. I want to call them friends at all. They're media, they're They've shut you uh, industry partners, dude, who, Sorry, I know you want to answer. No, no, here, no, no, but... no, no, no. You're good. You're good. It's fine. E well, real quick, Ethan, how are we doing on time? I'm okay. Okay. Um, yeah, uh, go ahead. Well, just some guys, uh, you know, when I was posting up some of this stuff, and, and like you said, they uh, how you want to look for me for my own health, you know, for my own whatever, you know, but you, you got to understand, like, I'm my own person. Yeah. And uh, I don't want to be silenced in what I'm putting out because I believe censorship is a trial to uh, authoritative figures. You know, like once you start censoring aside, any freedom of speech censoring is horrible. And what we see in the society today is a lot of freedom of speech getting suppressed. And you have yeah. to believe this way. Individuality is the most beautiful thing of human nature. When we have individuality, that's when we thrive. When we yeah. cannot be fearful of being separate people and not having to belong to the masses, then you will you will you will be over and beyond what that other individual is that's trying to stick around this this group, you know? Yeah. That's what separates like one from another. Individuality is beautiful. 
And what we're coming to right now is a time where you cannot be an individual. You have to be in the thought process of everybody else or else you're labeled as crazy. And there's a good quote that goes along with that. It's something like, uh, you know, when all the people are, when the masses are walking towards the cliff, the one who walks in the other direction is considered crazy. Mm. I'm paraphrasing, but, you know, that's yeah, basically I, I understand. what the quote is. Yeah, I guess uh, dude, and, uh, my biggest my biggest thing for all of this is exactly what you said. I think people need to look at things objectively, and I think that that's a valid point. Like, I really do. And I think that yeah. in some ways, like, I, I just hope that you are finding yourself looking at things objectively enough, you know? And that's yeah. what I mean. Like, and I, I don't... I, I trust you. Like I said, I in that sense, I, I believe you. I believe you're doing your stuff. And I think in a lot of ways, like, the way that everybody aligns some of the things that you say with like some of the real shit stuff on the, on the far end of things is where the problem mm. kind of comes in. And I think, I, I think perception is really important. And that's why I wanted to have you on because you're clearly a intelligent person. You can have a conversation like, and I think explaining where you're at is one of the most important things that you can do. My, my worry again is the same worry that you have and that's disinformation and it's on both sides I, I, again, like I sit in the middle and some people like are always like, I hate when people just sit in the middle. Like I don't need to be aggressive one way or the other. I, I really want to be, especially as an interviewer, my goal is always to be as objective as I possibly can, because yeah, I think it's, I think it's important, right? Cause I can have this conversation and then I can have someone on who thinks the exact opposite and thinks that I'm a moron because I had somebody on that thinks differently, you know, and that's totally fine. I, I, I'm, I'm okay accepting that faith or that fate rather. I, I just want to be clear that like, I, I think that it's totally valid that everybody should look at everything. And I think that mm -hmm. that's, that's fine. Just be aware of what you're doing. Be cautious of the sources of information that you take, whether it's from the government or it's from the, a random website. Like it doesn't, and I'm not saying that that's where you're getting all your, I'm just saying like, yeah, no, that's, that's, that's me. where people should kind of try to exist is, is actually be somewhat open-minded. I think there's a lot of validity in what you said on this topic. I think uh, I have a couple other questions, so we should move on before yeah, yeah, we get yeah, too far. Down, yeah. And, and some of these yeah. questions are like, uh, so what is your, what let, is me your just, let me just say the last thing so quick, man, Okay. is that the, the problem, the problem comes in when, everybody when we have these mandates where it's made that everybody has to do this and i haven't been able to travel because i choose not to take the vaccine i, th I think that's a huge issue and that's why i stand so vehemently about this whole situation you know like yeah where i, where I kind of stick to it stronger is because my life is affected just as much as anybody else's and towards a negative light like i'm not able to go and do what i want to do i'm not able to um to ski you know not able to go out skiing because of this, and that's that's the dangers of um, of a mandate. Of just, yeah, yeah, and 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 the information that you get that people think this mandate is valid. It's it's a dangerous time if we are, yeah. we're allowing this to happen. And where does it go after that? You know, because it doesn't. These kind of powers do not get assumed and then dissipate afterwards. They're they're a stepping stone into the next thing. So that that's where I stand so strongly in the opinions I do on this whole topic. So let's get on to something else. <laughs> I, I appreciate you having that part of the conversation. I, like I said, it's, it, I think this is, this is important. And I think it's also, it's important for people to hear you talk on it. Um, where yeah. I kind of want to go from this, it's somewhat related, but not necessarily related is 
What what does your ski career look like going forward? I mean, you are no longer part of the vocal team. I don't know if people know this yet or not, and I don't know how public that information is. But I, I what is your plan going forward? I imagine part of that is because you can't travel, you can't go skiing, and you're very limited in, in what you can do for travel. So I think that that part's weird. Do you, uh, do you want to talk about that? Yeah, of course, of course, man. Um, vocal, yeah, vocal's great. I just want to leave that out there. There's a lot of sponsors I've had in the past that I never felt like I was part of a family and they didn't really care for you. Vocal was one that's definitely there the whole time and they were super cool. Where where Vocal and I had a separation was uh, as people were emailing them about, uh, you know, that I'm spreading out hate and disinformation, which I, I never spread hate, man. But, um, you know, people felt it. We're in a cancel culture, man, where everybody, if they don't like what's being said, they go out and they try to undercut you, right? So Vocal gave me kind of an ultimatum, like, you know, you can keep quiet, not say anything, it's fine. Or, you know, I took the other route that's saying what I want to say and not feel like I'm being suppressed in, in my opinion because I'm more than just a skier. You know, I'm a person and I feel like I should have an opinion on things and, and bring it out. Where I feel like things are wrong, I'm going to speak up about it. So, you know, vocals did what they had to do. Uh, I don't think they really, like, said, you know, you're cut. Um no, but they gave but you I a choice. With them. And I you... wrote them an email and I told them, you know, this is what's going on, dude. I'm going to keep on saying this. You know, I'm taking, I'm taking the year off, or I'm taking whatever time off. So what I'm doing now is, um, I'm going to start up a business out here. I'm okay. actually in the process of it right now. So it's a surfing charter, fishing charter, camping. Cool. So I'll take people to remote waves that you can't get to by the road. Go out on a boat, set up a camping area. You know, and they can camp out, fish. You're gonna have a bunch of spear fishing gear, so rent the spear fishing, do the surfing. Should be cool, man. I've always, um, you know, my relatives were all fishers. They lived in Turkey, and they spent all their days on the sea. So I kind of have it in my blood to be on the ocean too, as well as the mountains. And uh, so, you I know, I'm that. pretty happy to start up a new company, dude. Be able to chill out here on a boat, whether it works or not. I got a boat, and I'll be amazing i love that i think that that part's uh that's really rad i'm glad that you were able to make something positive out of this and and i hope it goes really well i hope i hope you crush i hope you make enough money so that you can support yourself and i hope uh i hope that that works out in uh, genuinely i think that that's that's really fucking rad and i think more people need to kind of figure out outlets uh beyond just skiing especially because of what we talked about in the beginning is like it's it's not like skiing is making anybody super rich except for like few people at the very 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 top you know and i don't and even then it's not like they're living in fucking castles they're just it's a it's a different level of of uh yeah Yeah. exactly except for you you olsen's got uh, a couple cars that i'd like to i'd I'd like to have (laughs) a couple of those cars but um that's that's beside the point do you so the last one of the last things that i'll ask you and then i'll let i'll let ethan get out of here and actually go to his real job um i is this like do you look at this as the end of your ski career as a professional? Do you look at this as like an opportunity to do something different in skiing or are you kind of just like waiting to see what the next step is? I mean, I try to, I guess in life in general, I try not to look too far ahead, you know, I'm not trying to, 
So whatever happens, happens, you know, I mean, my goal right now is just to live happy, live free, be self-sufficient, be able to, you know, build my own house and, and live it up and feel good. Um, so whether that involves skiing or not, we'll have to see time will tell, you know, yeah. uh, if, if it's not, it's, it's okay. Uh, I'll, uh, if the world opens back up, which it is right now, you know, I'll go out skiing. Yeah. I'll be able to get to Japan pretty quickly and I'll see some power. And, uh, yeah, I've, I've never been good with dealing with sponsors, with, with talking with them and trying to get new sponsors. I never really reached out to people. I always had them come towards me when I was younger. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm not going to write out a bunch of emails and try to, you know, get back down on the knees and pray. Right. Yeah. So I'm just going to go with the flow and see what happens. Let life bring what it wants to bring. Yeah. Okay, cool. I think that's good. Um, the la- last thing I'll ask you, um, how, how has this whole couple of years impacted your relationship with like, for example, your brother or like people that are close to you? Like, has it changed the way that they act towards you or is it like just nah, people on nah, the outskirts? No, nah, no. Nah, my bro is my bro, man. He, he gets I appreciate going that. on. He understands. He's, he's ill, dude. He knows. He knows what's good, and he's he's had to stand up for me a couple times to, to people trying to call me crazy or something. And uh, no, that. I got mad respect for my bro. You know, mad respect for that dude. Uh, so no, I'm still with him all the way. My mom's pretty turned on to all the stuff going on, so it's all good. In the the hood, people that my, matter my most. Dad. Yeah, it's no problem. And all my best friends, man, they're my best friends for a reason, dude. You surround yourself with with the right people. You know, the people who are. Uh, who are there for the right reasons and you'll never lose. Yeah. See you. Yeah. Please, you know? Yeah. I get it. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, nothing is ever, you know, the, the ones who have chosen to see me as an enemy, as I said before, if they see me as an enemy, man, they were never a friend because all I'm trying to do is stick up for people right now too. So, yeah. Uh, if, if they see me as an enemy, they, they took me at the wrong point. They never knew me. They don't know me. Um, so see me like that, that's, that's your will. And you never meant anything to me in the first place, you know? So yeah. the ones that need to be let go, they're gone. Yeah. The ones that are real, they're, they're still with me, you know? Yeah. Well, I love that. Yeah. Um, well, I appreciate you. I, I can't thank you enough for doing this, like, and having the conversation. Oh, thank you for having me on, brother. Yeah. yeah. Anytime you, you're welcome. Like I said, I am, I am very, I'm always happy to have these conversations. And I think it's, I think there's some validity to actually like showing all sides of the things and trying to actually put out an unbiased source, especially in skiing. Like it's, it's really it's a difficult thing to do for sure. So I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate everything that you're doing for people that are curious, where can they follow you on social? Where can they find more information about you? Um, where can they like, where can they connect? Yeah, just Instagram. Instagram's the easy way to do it right now. It's just um, your name. Oh, just my name. I'm met to Dolly. And uh, yeah, I'll let you know, like, yeah, a lot of people, as I'm saying all this stuff, you know, there's a lot of people, a lot of people that message me a lot of positive things. And they're stoked to, to hear some of the stuff that's being said and that there's somebody who's speaking it. So it's not all like uh, people attacking or whatever. There's, there's far, far, far more people who agree and are, you know, they themselves seeing the consequences of some of the stuff going on that has impacted them. So yeah, there's, uh, I'm, I'm,
I got a lot of positive messages too, just so you know, like I, and even from media people that were like, yeah, like, I think that like, I, I'd like to hear from him. I'd like to hear what he has to say. And I'm excited to hear it. Like I've, I've gotten a bunch of messages that are like that. And I think that that's really cool. Like, I think it's cool that people, the biggest thing that should be a takeaway from this is that you do have an impact on people. What you say does matter to people and people do really give a shit about you and what you're doing. Right. And that's a thing that's yeah. actually, it's a very powerful thing. And I, I hope that you, that you use it in a way that is positive for everyone. Right. And that's like, yeah. that's, and I know I actually do truly believe that your intentions are very pure. And I think that that's one of the most important things here. Yeah. So, well, thank you, man. Thank course. you for having me on, dude. Like you said, giving me a voice over here to um, state my side of things because I've been cut off from a lot of other uh, for sure. ski things. So it's cool to be on here, dude. The studio looks awesome. I was just looking at it uh, some of the other podcasts. I was like, damn, dude, this, this is sick, man. It's cool. So it's it looks new... super good back there, dude. I'm stoked you're doing what you're doing, man. It's, it's great to have uh, more of this kind of stuff in the sport and just to get different opinions from all different people. I think podcasting is sick, man. I I've been told that. from some people to do one too, and but I don't. I don't think I can do what you do, man. Well, I couldn't do what I do without the fucking dude in the booth. So, like, I, like, realistically, like, it, you got to have somebody kind of in your corner that wants to do it, too. So, I appreciate him. Um, And, yeah, once again. Well, thank you, Ethan, too. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Thank you, Ethan. Um, All right, Ahmet, we'll talk to you soon. I will send you everything. This is going to come out next week. So, I will, uh, I'll send you everything when it comes out, and uh, and we'll go from there. Great. All right. Thanks again, bro. All right, brother. Appreciate Appreciate you. Appreciate it. Yeah, good talking, bro.